Hello everyone and welcome to Fireside Friends. This is episode 3. I'm Ryan Prasad and with me are my co-host Alan Ibrahim. Hello Ryan, how are you? I'm pretty good Alan, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. And joining us for the first time as a permanent third uh, co-host uh, is my friend Katie Marie. Hey everybody! Hey, Hi Ryan! Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing alright. Good. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Katie. Uh, I'm from the southeast coast of the United States. I'm Native American. I'm from the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of the Chippewa natives. And let's see. I am a girl, some sort of girl. <laughs> Not sure on that yet, but <laughs> she pronouns are good. Um. And I am, I don't know, I'm, I'm a hetero-romantic pansexual, so there we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us on this weird journey. Welcome to the wonderful world of podcasting. I'm very and, happy it, to be here, so. <laughs> we hope you yeah. survive the experience. <laughs> Thank Not you. Not everybody <laughs> does, apparently. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right, so let's jump in to our roundtable. And uh, does anyone want to start first? Does anyone have a preference? Uh, I was just going to let Katie go first if she wants to go first. Yeah, I guess um, that I'll go good. second. Oh, Alan, how about you go first? Then? <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't come prepared. That's not true. I came very prepared. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed a lot of stuff in the last um, two weeks. The first one that I wanted to talk about is, well, two things. Both with the same title, which is Girls. Girls is a comic that was written and published in 2006 to 2007 by the Luna Brothers. And Girls is also an HBO television show starring Lena Dunham and a bunch of her friends. And both of these properties are about um, females and sexuality and how men interact with women and why uh, so many stories that are written today don't focus on that perspective. They focus on like what men think of things and both of them so like girls the comic i've been reading because um someone recommended it to me as like a cool sort of horror indie situation and Mm -hmm. it's really compelling but i feel like the problem that i've been having with it or that i had with it until i finished it was that so just the premise is basically is that there's this small town it's very twin peaks if you're kind of looking for the tone um and it's the small town where uh a alien woman uh, lands and once somebody has sex with her she lays an egg which uh, produces another one of her and those women aliens kill other like they kill human women and feed them to like a giant sperm monster egg so there's a lot going on it's very weird it's very scary there's a lot of gratuitous horror and violence but at the same time it is about like how we decide what is important in the way that we delineate men and, and men women in terms of the sexes. Um, and it isn't necessarily funny, but it takes like a very specific tone. Everyone is always fighting in girls, which is why I think I, I mentioned this along with Girls the Show, because these are both shows about a lot of people just being very unhappy with each other. And I find that kind of thing appealing because I think that conflict makes for good writing often. And, you know, I talk about stuff like Farscape with other people and we talk about how um, 
that is a show where people are friends and they like each other and everything's good most of the time except when outside forces come in. But with Girls the Comic, everyone, society falls apart so fast. Like, we are just not capable of handling an outside force coming in. And then Girls the Show is just about a bunch of girls in New York City growing up um, and trying to come to terms with their privilege and their whiteness. And <laughs> it's like... I, I kind of like it, and I've been distancing myself more and more from it every season because it's so myopic in the way that it looks at relationships and culture at large. Like, it's a show that takes place in Brooklyn, New York, and there are zero people of color on it. There are just none. Just <laughs> like New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just, just it's like New York. Real life. Historical accuracy. That's what it's, they're going yep. It's historical. It's flawlessly accurate. <laughs> but it's the kind of thing where you... I've started to notice that I think the creators of that show noticed, like, they know that. Because the latest season has been a lot of like, we're just old and like affluent and white. Like, what do we do? The whole, like, <laughs> the whole world is kind of in our favor and we don't even like think about people that don't have everything catered to them. Like, what are we assholes? And it kind of like pauses the answer. Like, yeah, you know, if you can check your own privilege and understand, like, I'm not, uh, and I'm not entitled to certain things, then I can work with other people and, engage myself in the the world at large and not break down every time I leave my sort of insular space of people that are my friends, which, you know, is a connecting thread between both of those things. Does it, does it do that while also hiring diverse actors and directors or does it just stay white? I'm not entirely, I know the writing cast is primarily Lena Dunham and uh, her friend Jenny Connor who are both mm-hmm. white women, but um, they have definitely had other people on the crew and, like, the production staff that are um, diverse, so it isn't entirely like that. It's just, it started like that, and they didn't even, it seems kind of like the thing where I wanted to write a show with these people, but, like, whoops, I also am writing a show about the world and, like, what is it like living in a city that is very diverse? Mm-hmm. So they kind of wrote themselves into a hole, and they've been trying to dig themselves out as the characters get older and realize, like, whoops, we, this doesn't work forever. <laughs> this is not how real this life is, works. This is 2016. We need to adapt. Exactly. Yeah. So those are interesting. Um, should I just keep going down the list? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go right ahead. I I wrote Vampire Hunter D here, which is a film that I watched because I'm slowly developing into the anime trash boy that I was always so, uh, meant okay. to be. Can you explain what this is? It is, is it a vampire <laughs> hunter who does good defense on a football team? Like, yep, what is that's, this? yep, it's a football anime. I love okay. sports anime, but that's another oh, talk. Oh, what, for real? It's a football anime? No, 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 no. <laughs> Not like, at all. What? <laughs> it's, um, it's a film based on a chapter of a long running manga about a vampire hunter whose name is D, and he, uh, is just really cool, and it's really stylish, and it came out in, I think, 1999. And the thing that I thought was interesting about it was that it was written for an American audience. It was written to be released in the United States. So it's an anime film where the dub was done before the sub, like the Japanese um, uh, voice acting. And so it has this very like Japanese in America perspective. And you watch it and it's so gorgeous. And it's the story is so like you're just constantly pulled pulled along by like these amazing fight scenes and this really high fantasy dialogue and you realize that like so many things so many writers and creators watched vampire hunter d and wanted to make that bayonetta uh most like sega action character action games devil may cry is very vampire hunter d um bloodborne is basically exactly that aesthetic 
um, just like all, like video games in, in particular, and a lot of other anime, this like very high Victorian, very sexual, very raw um, kind of emotion. It's a really beautiful movie, and it really reminded me that like I've been watching a lot of anime lately, but in the television space, a lot of that stuff is kind of hit or miss. But I most of the films that are original and not based on a show that I've watched that are, you know, anime are really good. Like Akira and the Vampire Hunter D and all this stuff. I think cinema is a really particularly good place for anime to sort of flourish and be the epic high art that it can be. Mm-hmm. I If there's one thing I want to do, because there's some anime on this list that are from the both <laughs> of you and I don't have... And I, <laughs> I don't have any anime on my list, so I feel like you guys need to indoctrinate me on anime. I will <laughs> indulge that. Send you a playlist. Yeah. <laughs> send me a mixtape. Yep, I'll, oh I'll mail you a mixtape. Mm-hmm. Um, no, anime's great. It's just, it's... Uh, I, I it, It's always something that I, I want to get into more anime, but then I never do. But okay. I need to change that. Yeah, a friend I've of mine. I've seen Akira. I've oh. seen Akira. I've seen a few episodes of Kill la Kill, uh, which I was kind of mixed on at the time. But other than that, it's not something I'm not. I mean, I obviously as a kid I watched like Naruto and a little bit of Pokemon and Yu Gi Oh, but nothing really else besides that. Yeah, I, think. I mean, I think anime like um. At least in my perspective, I enjoy it a lot more because than like um, traditional like American style things because it definitely has like so many different levels of maturity that you can like delve into, um, and it like is kind of like a pretty it's an evolving art form where it has like consistencies, but everything is unique at the same time, um, and it's like. I don't know. I think they tell pretty awesome stories and a lot of the time it has like source material and um, different spinoffs that you can really get involved with. So it's like something that I, is, you can delve into. So see, I find all of the spinoffs and stuff really intimidating as someone who's like, okay, I'm going to watch a show. Which which series of Gundam should I watch? Because there's like a billion of them. <laughs> see, you know? it's the answer. See, yeah. you're done. You're welcome. It depends on what you're looking for. Seed is yeah. definitely one of the ma- more mature um, mm-hmm. Gundam things. I yeah, uh, yeah, that's definitely on the bucket list. Is more anime. <laughs> there's there's some stuff that you can watch. Like there's one season of Samurai Champloo, which is my favorite anime of all time. Oh, or... I've seen yeah. some of that too. Yeah, nice. I've seen like half a season. It's good. I need to watch the rest of that. Yeah, it has such a beautiful arc. And a friend of mine um, describes anime as like this medium that can tell so such different and unique stories that like no other medium can tell. Like the way that they deal with style and adaptation and tone and mood and like passage of time and the way that things are animated. Like Katie mentioned the different styles and anime has totally gone through these renaissances of uh like eras of the way that people look and the way that faces look in particular you look at vampire hunter d and you see a very like this is 90s anime you look at kill a kill and you're like this is stylized 2010s and uh you know 2010s anime um you can look at like 80 you can look at uh evangelion and go this is 80s based on just the way that people look like it's very um there's like a sort of gestalt of the way that things look like everyone agrees like this is how anime looks for the next 10 years and they 
move along with that and, and like iterate on it slowly. So it's a, it's just such a unique, um, like way of telling stories. Yeah. That. For me, it's like playing a lot of games, uh, that are like directly influenced or are a product of just being Japanese and just being embedded in that culture, like Metal Gear or something influenced like Galaxy. Uh, I don't have an excuse for not <laughs> being into anime at this point. Or at least being more educated about what's out there. It, it's a lot. Um, yeah. But related to that, sorry, Katie, did you have a thing? Oh, no, I was just going to say it can get overwhelming because there's just like so much out there. Yeah. Like my list of what to watch is like longer than my list of what I have watched. And I have watched so much stuff. So I'm just like, mm -hmm. it, it, it can be like, where do I start if you haven't even like right even looked into the rabbit hole yet you know totally i also started watching steven universe which is like completely 100 <laughs> percent taken from anime. yeah that's all you need to watch you can watch that and nothing else and be kind of set for life i mean that's true <laughs> yeah. but also you know it's nice to know what it was influenced by exactly um, i mean i've seen episodes of sailor moon before but that's not all. oh also very good but speaking of anime and the way that stories are told, the last thing I yes. really, <laughs> the last thing I real quickly wanted to talk about was um, Tales from the Borderlands, which is a five episode um, game from Telltale that came out uh, over the course of 2015, I believe. And um, it's based on the Borderlands franchise of like first person RPG shooters, which I've never been a fan of. I played the first one a lot and I just kind of fell off because I really just didn't enjoy the tone or style or feel of playing those games um but that's mostly due to the fact that i've like gotten out of shooters in the last couple years and i heard about tales from the borderlands and i just thought oh this is another like wacky humor version of that and there, it's just you memes. know now it's the tell yeah borderlands <laughs> 2 gets criticized endlessly for having a bunch of memes in it um and you ryan in particular and uh our uh, several of our other friends that were just like tales from the borderlands is not it's for people who don't like borderlands i have urged you to finish this game for about a month now maybe more it's so i i almost like i don't want to talk about it in the context of it being a game it's more in just in the context of it being a narrative because it knows everything you expect to happen and it kind of winks at you constantly like you know you know it's gonna happen next and when it does it feels really satisfying and when it doesn't it's really fresh and unique like it is at one moment a heist story, and at another moment it is a uh, it is an action film, and it is a kaiju film at one point, and like it's pulling from so many different genres of film and literature and television, and like you're getting to play that. And for a while, when I was playing it, I was like, you know, I could have, I could have just watched this. The people who made this clearly just wanted to make a cartoon, and the story is wonderful, but I don't need to be playing this. But Without going into spoilers, there's a specific moment that justifies the entire, um, mm -hmm. like, me means of input. And Ryan, I, yep. I'm assuming you know which part I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Uh, talking about the, it's one, it's in the final episode. It basically just involves like, it's a big old monster fight, and you're inputting these button presses the way that you would in a fighting game, without the game out overtly saying like you're doing a dragon punch. Like you just do them, and then the characters do that thing. And it's so exciting. And you're like, yes, this is me. I'm part of this group. Like every character, you can see yourself in, in them in a little bit of a way. Like there's the the sort of roguish character. There's the smart one. There's the the tough one. There's, you know, like all of them. 
they have these archetypes, but they're also really rich and full of personality. And like when you're doing that's like the action sequences or stuff like that. But when you're doing dialogue, it's like I want to lean these characters in different directions because, you know, if you play a lot of Telltale games, like I'm not going to change the story. I'm not going to completely change the way that the like arc of this narrative goes. But I am going to define how people talk to each other and the phrasing and when people talk and stuff like that. So it's this very like hands-on way of telling a epic five-part like action story. And it's mm-hmm. so Telltale's never going to make another game in this style that I will like more. I don't think that's I, possible. Yeah. I re- I don't know what team exactly worked on this game, but I hope that they work on something like this again because it's just it's not even like a good Telltale game. It's just a good game just right. by the ways that they subvert all of your expectations. And the it ends up being a game about friendship and togetherness. Exactly. And that's not something that I can hate. And it does it so well. And it does so many great characters and great writing. So This recurring theme of like, there are all these characters that might trick you. Do you want to trust them anymore? And like, this is also not a spoiler to say, but like, Every time you choose to trust someone, it pays you, it pays back in a really nice way. Like you always are rewarded for trying to go the, like, I'm going to talk my way out of this instead of shoot my way out of this, or I'm going to like keep this person on my side instead of letting them ignore me. Like that is always worth it, which is such a good message to give to players. Like if you can try and you can really maintain these relationships with these people, they will, they will help you. Karma will work in your favor by the end and you will have this group of people who are like, we're all friends together. We're going to do this together. And the only other Telltale game I've played of this format was The Walking Dead, and that game is very much just like, at the end of the first episode, you're picking who lives and who dies, and it's this is just like, uh, it's not as extreme, but even when a, even when a, uh, it like looks like it's going to present it that way, it's like in service of a really dumb joke or, like a there's. A moment where it's in the first episode where you can sh- choose to like shoot someone or beg, and yep. if you shoot the guy, uh, because the, the most of the story is told in a flashback, so when you shoot the guy, like his brain splatter or whatever, and it just cuts forward, and it's just like you didn't do that. You didn't do that. Why are you lying? <laughs> it plays with unreliable narrator stuff a lot, which I'm a huge sucker for. Uh, you'll be in an action scene, and then your character will like flip their guns in the air and do a crazy backflip and kill everyone. And then it'll pull back like, is that how it works? And they're like, no. oh, but oh my gosh, the inverse decision of shooting the guy is like launching into a Shakespearean yep. monologue at him. <laughs> and the, like all of the background disappears and like stage lights like shine down from out of nowhere. It's great. That kind oh, of thing wonderful. feels very, it feels very anime influenced in that way where they can just like play with visuals and setting like that really quickly. And, there's no bad way to play. There's no, like, I picked all the boring decisions and nothing interesting happened. You will get a cool story no matter what you think about anything in that game. Everyone should play Tales from the Borderlands. It's incredible. It's great. Yeah, that's awesome. I always really like whenever you can um, do, like, diplomatic options and stuff like that because I, as a person, feel terrible being, like, the violent person or the bad guy in games. I'm, like... Like, I cannot personally do it. I just feel awful because I'm like, I am hurting these people. These people are not okay. And it is my fault. 
So like the fact <laughs> that you're um rewarded for like, you know, being the good guy and being and talking to people and trusting people is really that that gives points for me. I'm yeah. happy for that. That's a big one. All right, Katie, do you want to go? Uh yeah. Talk about your stuff. Sure. Um let's see. This week I bringing it back to anime. Um, I recently... It all comes back to anime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> In the end, all is anime. No, but um, I watched Your Lie in April, and that show is... Like, Eli, my boyfriend, came in while I was watching it. He was like, are you just constantly having a stream of tears when you watch this show? And the answer <laughs> is yes, I am. That show is so emotional and is so powerful because like um like spoilers um ahead but it talks about you know child abuse and um this this like kind of thing where your mom is also you know like she's a good person and a good mother at some times but in other times and um you know she's like hitting you and drawing blood and that kind of thing um it got, talks about like the struggle with music and emotional struggle, like this artistic struggle. Um, it deals with death and illness and um, love and relationships and unrequited love and just all kinds of stuff um, like animals and things like that. Oh, my gosh. This show like destroyed me, basically. Um, the main character, um, his name is Arima Kose, and he is a pianist. But um, he gave up the piano after his mom died, and his mom was abusive. And he meets he meets uh, this girl named Kauri, and um, she plays the violin. And um, basically, like they, uh, he, she tries to get him back into music again, and um, she likes his best friend, and then Kose loves her, and then. Kosei's other best friend, Subaki, like, loves him, and it's just, you know, um, and he is having a hard time playing the piano because of his, like, abuse with his mother and his past, and then Kaori gets sick, and she's, like, dying and stuff, and it's just really emotional, and it really tugs on your heartstrings, but um, one thing I wanted to bring up and, like, talk about was um, there's a scene where this recurring cat dies recurring cat yeah recurring cat it's not like anyone's cat but it's on the street and they show up all the time okay anyway the cat gets hit by a car and dies and like this is um basically right after the scene it's in it's late in the show um kosei is leaving the hospital after visiting um kauri and she basically tells him that she's dying and that she's going to die and um like i was fine But when that happened, like, because I, going into the show, I knew she was going to die. I knew that she was sick and whatever, because my friend called her Cancer Chan. I was like, that is awful. (laughs) Um, But um, anyway, so the cat gets hit by a car. And, um, you know, um, the main character, Kosei, had a cat um, that he basically couldn't save um, in the past. So anyway, he rushes it to the animal hospital and... It's closed, but he bangs on the door and the light turns on and they and he hands them the cat and then like it basically has a cut and they come back out and they're like, I mean, 
he died when he was hit by the car. There wasn't anything we can do. And it's just like the hope that you had when the light turned on in the um, animal hospital is just gone. Like, I, I cannot believe that they killed this cat. Like, number one, this show is so emotional. I was like, that is a dirty move. But I kind of <laughs> wanted to bring up, like, why is animal death, like, so impactful to us? Like, even more so than, like, human death in media and stuff. Because, you know, we have websites like doesthedogdie.com where, <laughs> like, you know, it tells you whether the dog dies or not. But we don't have, like does the person die.com or anything like that. So like have either of you like experienced um like a greater emotional tie to animals in movies or other media than like people? That's yeah, I mean absolutely like the animals dying is always more affecting than humans dying. I think that partly comes from the fact that and this is just me like Animals can't betray you. Animals can't be characters that are like, um, they, they can't have that much dimension. They are just kind of in, in, you know, cinema and they can't talk. So they, they have a certain level of agency and it's like, I'm just, I am as a viewer, I am like imparting a personality in my head onto that animal. They don't have, they don't get to, to deviate from what I think of them. They are the cute dog forever. So if the dog gets hurt, it's the cute dog that I was thinking about because they are so, they are such, empty slates that we can put whatever like emotion and thought we want into them whereas with characters it's like you are that way i didn't like this thing that you did so it's kind of okay with me that you died or you died you died because you deserved it like we kind of view animals with way less agency than we do with um human character humanoid characters yeah and for me i guess i do this with people too but it's like with pets you kind of just you think they're invincible and that nothing is ever going to happen to them just because they are always there. So when an animal dies in media or just in general, it's sad all around. But I guess like death, I have like huge death anxiety for everything. So I don't necessarily think pets are special in that way. Not to say that it's not sad, but it's like I already have anxieties about death to begin with. So uh pets just go along with everything else for me um but there's actually so i was thinking about it just a moment ago and the piece of media that i thought of was uh so this is going to be a spoiler for the babadook i don't yeah. know if you'll if you all I seen have it. seen that movie uh so spoilers at the end of the movie oh god uh, the dog dies by the mother choking him to, or I don't know what gender the dog is, joking the dog to death. Uh, and then it's just never brought up again. Because oh, that, that, that movie has a happy ending, right? Yeah. And, like, mom's back to normal. Kid is okay. Where's the dog? I they know. don't talk about that. They don't touch on it. They don't allude to, like, oh, we buried the dog. Nothing. There's uh, nothing. That was so awful, that scene I where the mom just... It chokes the dog i was like oh my gosh is is this really happening like it's one of those things where you're hoping it's like oh but this didn't actually happen though that was just in their head but it actually happened right and uh, the babadook uh it feels like it's a movie that doesn't care about pets in that way yeah uh it definitely values human life more than the animal by not <laughs> just like a line would be okay but they don't talk about it ever again 
Um, I mean, that happened, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not dig up the past here. But, yeah. Because, like, going back to your lie in April, like, for everything else, like, it was just, you know, like, the silent tear thing where you're, like, crying, but you're not, like, making noise. You're just like... <sniffs> Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> when the cat died, I was straight sobbing, and I was saying, like, the kitty didn't deserve this. Like, I said <laughs> that out loud, because I was like, it did nothing wrong, so, like, why? But anyway, I do recommend that anime to you, Ryan. <laughs> oh, it sound no, it sounds like a mess. <laughs> I'm going to be a mess. It's a, it's a good mess, it's a good mess. The animation mm-hmm. is... Um, really amazing actually i bet it is because it's fucking sad (laughs) (laughs) to be fair most anime like is that's like the whole thing that's why it's so unique is everything feels way so you feel way stronger about everything like there are very few anime that i could recommend to you or anyone could recommend to you that aren't going to make you feel very strongly about something because that's inherent in the genre even if you like dislike it yeah um (laughs) Like, um, Your Lie in April has a fantastic soundtrack because it's based around musicians. So they play Ooh. a lot of, like, um, really um, intense and emotional pieces because a lot of the um, themes in that show are about, like, putting emotion into your pieces and putting your soul into what you play as opposed to, like, um, just playing it by the score or playing what's on the sheet music. Like, you put yourself into your music and make it your own song even if somebody else wrote it so you might as well be you might as well just offer to punch me in the stomach because this <laughs> is what this show is gonna do to me <laughs> oh my gosh it is fantastic and like um like all the imagery and the animation they incorporate like some 3d aspects into it like mm-hmm. subtly so it's not nasty but um you know but i yeah. it is it's emotional. It's a very emotional journey. Um, and I'm really happy with that show in the end. You know. Oh, that's good. So. Um, but another thing I've been doing is playing like this Love Live mobile game <laughs> this week. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It is so much fun. It's like um, it has so many different aspects of games in like one thing. Like um, it's basically like Guitar Hero. Um you know anything about uh love live it's it's like um you have these idols and idols are basically like just cute people yeah cute Mm. people who wear coordinated outfits and they sing songs and dance so in the love live um idol school idol festival game you have your own team and it's like guitar hero a song plays and you have to like click on their faces as the notes come down and you do different things um, but it's also like a trading card game because your team members are represented by trading cards and you have like normal and then you have rare and then you have super rare and then you have ultra rare and you level them up and then you can like idolize them, which means like you use another one of the cards to put them in cuter outfits and like all this stuff. And there's like a visual novel aspect where you go through a story mode with um the original members of the main love live um cast which is muse that's their group name and um then you can unlock stories for the characters that you play with and it's just like this really fleshed out game 
and it's free, and it's a phone game. So I've just been so impressed with it. And um, they have, like, events and stuff. Like, right now, there's, like, a baseball event, basically, where you Fuck. collect baseballs, and you, oh you play goodness. specific songs, and you get, like, rewards for it and stuff. I don't know, man. Like, this game <laughs> is so great. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, like, the um, your leader, you have, like, a leader of the group, and they talk to you. Like, um, you know, like, they're in the corner of the screen, and they're like, do your best. Um, and they're like, my best friend is this person, and they've been with me for so long. And you can, like, tap them to make them say more stuff. And they'll be like, ah, oh, that tickles, stop. <laughs> it's like... Japanese skinship is sometimes weird. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll, you know, they'll just be like, ooh, the sun feels nice today. And... Like... <laughs> and then you're like, it's raining outside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But I don't know. It's really cute, and it's really, um, like, it's really detailed and fleshed out. And, it, like, that just really surprises me for being a free mobile game. I'm like, nice. Mm-hmm. I'm impressed. Awesome. So. I played a lot of Love Live over this past summer, and I got real deep. And it was around the point where I was like, oh, I'm doing all this leveling of characters, and all these, you know, idols are doing so great. And... Now I have to feed idols other idols to make them better, and oh, then they like true. evolve. It's you very do that. Weird. You do sacrifice the other idols. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, you, you yeah. basically it's just like you know, I don't know Soil what the metaphor of it is people. supposed to be. It's, it's called training, but once you train them with other idols, those idols are gone. They're wiped out. Yeah, oh like my God. you basically use other idol cards to level up idol cards. So it's like Soylent Green is people. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. It's it's got a lot of weird uh ludological metaphors in it, but that's because the characters are represented by cards and mm-hmm. um and that kind of thing. But it's really fun and as a as a fan of, of rhythm games, specifically Japanese rhythm games, um Rhythm Heaven and Elite Beat Agents are like two of my favorite games of all time. They're up there. Um that was where I was like, Oh, Love Live, I could I don't even care about the visual novel aspect, even though it's fine. Um I'm just gonna play the same song fifty times. Because you do that, too. It's a lot of, like, song grinding, if I remember correctly. It's like, yeah, it is. One. But they're so good. All the songs are really catchy. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the, um, and they're all done by, like, the, the Muse group. Because, like, yeah. the Love Live universe is so fleshed out. Like, they, they have albums. They have, like, music videos. They have all kinds of stuff. And it's just really impressive to me that they put in so much work into creating, like, what seems like a real idol group almost even right. though they're like 2d and animated it's like they have all these things it's so impressive i appreciate it a lot so um yeah my favorite song is snow halation yes so I play that song a lot yes that's the one da, 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 da. yes okay i'm sorry it's yeah. <laughs> good no that was perfect that was on point <laughs> it sounded just like it <laughs> when did Muse get here? Oh, hello. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so that has taken up a lot of my time lately. I I love that game so much. It and did. even when you like download stuff on it, like all the Muse characters are at the bottom of the screen, and if you tap them, they just say things yep. to you. <laughs> they just kind of like bounce and talk. And they're oh. also cute and stuff. It's great. Cool. Anything else? Um, no, you can go ahead, Ryan, and 
Tell your stuff. Right. All right. So first things first, I saw Metric on Tuesday. <laughs> Metric is Alan's favorite band, and I saw them before he did. Oh no! Alan's gonna see them next week. Yay! Uh, but so I went into it not like the biggest Metric fan. I know like the hits. The like two or three hits. Your Jimmy Sympathies, your uh Black Sheeps, your you know Gold Gun Girls. Yeah. So uh and I bought it on a whim because it was like twenty dollars and I was like, okay, I'll go to this. It seems fun. <sighs> so I went, uh, and I had a really great time. Um if I am to put on my music judging hat for two seconds here, I would say that a lot of the so metric is very like electronic and a lot of that stuff sounds the same at a certain point yep. for me yep, yep, yep. Gotcha. uh so that's kind of the only thing that i didn't like was that i couldn't tell sometimes if they were playing a different song from the song they were playing before but oh no. uh i'm that's just that could be just electronic stuff for me like not being familiar enough with their stuff but I really liked it because uh, at certain points they, well, I'm, I guess I'll start off by saying that like they are just really genuine and like really good performers. Uh, so it was really entertaining to watch. And there was uh, they do a song called "Uh Oh." Uh-oh. Hold on. Uh oh, hold they, on. It's usually not uh, an electronic song on the album, but they do. A version of it when uh, uh, they have members of the audience go on stage and they just sing along to the song. Oh, I knew it for a while. I don't know it right now. Oh, and then, that's so cool. And yeah. then the lead singer just does the verses while everybody is singing in the background. Let me look this up. Uh, one second. I need to get the song right because it's really... I don't like the album version of the song. But I loved the live version that I saw. The people that call it's, up are VIPs, called, by the way. Yeah, they do have they they have VIPs come on the stage. The song is called "Dream So Real." Yes, uh, which is a really great song um, about kind of like self doubt and stuff. And there is a line uh, where she says, "Like, you know, am I have I been wrong this whole time?" Uh, I'm not. That's a paraphrase, but like to believe in the power of song and to believe in the power of girls. And when she said that line, the audience just cheered, and was it was just really emotional for me. Um, and to kind of run this point home, there are a lot of like I was towards the front, so I got a lot of eye contact from the band, which was cool. Um, <laughs> but like towards the front, there were a lot of really cute gay couples dancing and just the sense of togetherness and for me i can't actively hate anything that gives uh marginalized people voices that's kind of why slater kenny is my favorite band so uh i got that out of a metric concert which i really didn't expect uh so i ended up coming out of it kind of less jaded about music so yeah that's awesome like, to have such a positive experience and for something to be so powerful and emotional for you, even if, like, you didn't think that way going into mm-hmm. it, you know? Yeah. I didn't really expect anything from it going in, but uh, 
I'm really glad I went. I'm happy that you enjoyed it because I I worry when I because when I started getting into metric in the let's say 2009 2010 approximately, um, it was one of those bands where at that point they were just transitioning into this sort of electronic music because before that they were doing much more traditional uh, rock music and this sort of like indie rock and they were very local to Canada and not a lot of people have heard of them. So at that point I was like, man, if I if I ever saw a metric concert, I don't know. Would there be a lot of people there? Would it would it resonate with other people the way it resonates with me, my like fifteen year old self? Um, mm-hmm. But that's why I think that their sort of genre transition to this more epic uh, electronic stuff has led, and just the way that they've like tweaked their style and performance uh, technique is leading to a lot of people, even if they don't know the band, going to these concerts and being like, "Wow, this is making me feel strong things." So mm-hmm. as a fan, and uh, as and obsessed metric fan i think after next thursday i will be a pile of stardust ascended into heaven so i won't be on the next yeah. episode sorry <laughs> <laughs> if i cry during this you're gonna be a mess i'm gonna melt i've seen <laughs> i've seen like little snippets of the set list i've not seen the whole thing and i have trash uh short-term memory so i don't like remember any of it but i see a song and i'm like <gasps> that's it i'm gonna cry during all of this whole thing <laughs> and if people around me are unhappy about that then too bad yeah, fuck those people. Yeah. No. Uh they put on a really good show. You're going to love it. Uh let's see what else. I've been watching House of Cards. Wow. Uh, season 4. <laughs> just to kind of pass the time. Uh Alan, you raised a good question when we talked about this over Skype a few days ago. You asked me why do we watch this stuff. Why do we watch these like Netflix shows that like uh, there's some weird shows like House of Cards or like Daredevil or Jessica Jones uh, have this huge zeitgeist where the moment it comes out, like everybody's binge watching it. And you pose a good question, like, why do we watch these things that aren't the best, but we watch hours and hours of them every year anyway? And I feel like it's because, at least for me, I needed a distraction uh, just from my own thoughts. So uh, tuning into a show that's maybe not great, but is good enough, like it has good enough writing, great acting, really great production values, and like the storyline is uh, interesting enough for me. Well, I wouldn't say the storyline, but it's more like how these characters interact with one another is what keeps me going because... The whole thing of season four is like how Frank and Claire Underwood kind of interact with each other and how they try to one up each other. And that's really just so much fun to watch, um, which is why I think this season is a lot better because it just plays to the strengths of the actors more than anything else. Even if it's it's not the political, if it's, it's not political commentary at all. It's just they use that as a vessel for these characters and their performances. And I guess that's why I like watching it. I watched House of Cards for two seasons. And Netflix still says I watched a less than half of season three, episode one, which was exactly the point where I was like, yep, they're just going to keep doing this. Frank's <laughs> just going to keep being a mean boy and he's going to keep getting power. And we, as the viewer, are going to be like, oh, it's so interesting watching him tackle his way through the political system. Like, this is great. But it's like, <laughs> why? Always ask yourself why when you're watching a show like this. And if it's for reasons that are like, I want to finish it so I can talk about it with other people, that's not a good enough reason to watch so much of something. To me, at least. 
Like I enjoy art because it lets me feel things that I can't on my own feel. And House of Cards just stops making me feel anything after a certain point. Mm-hmm. But I will say that season three is a hot trash fire. Yeah. Oh gosh. And season four is a big improvement uh over that. Um I don't know what else to say because I don't watch it because other people watch it. I just watch it because I am kind of interested in it myself and I like those characters and like is a, such a weird term for the show, but like I like <laughs> seeing these characters interact with one another. And I like the drama that goes on enough to keep watching because it's enough to just like keep my mind away from things that I don't want to think about and just watch this show. Something wrong I with mean, that. We talked last yeah. week, sorry, Katie, about like oh, no, go ahead. shows uh, or things like Battlefront and stuff where you enjoy them because they're there and they're present. And like that can be a show for you. There doesn't have to be anything wrong with that. As long as you realize like, yeah, maybe... I don't need to spend time watching this show. I'm doing it because I want to. So mm-hmm. if I stop wanting to, then I should probably stop watching this show. But if you're enjoying it, then watch the heck out of it. It looks mm-hmm. entertaining, at least. It isn't without criticism. It's trash, but <laughs> it's, I'm it's enjoying rewarding it. trash. That's why people watch The Bachelor, my friend. Like, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Katie, you were Speak- saying. Oh, I'm um, basically I was gonna say like that's the kind of Ryan what you have with House of Cards or. Those kinds of shows. That's kind of like why I watch so much anime, because it's like that's that's like my thing. Where you know I I might not one hundred percent enjoy the show that I'm watching, um, but it is a good escape from things, and it's there for you to enjoy and to consume. And um, like, so you said you wanted to like get into anime and stuff like that. Um, that's I just want to be like you can do that for anime too. Mm-hmm. Totally. Speaking of trash things, hey. uh, I'm I'm still playing Star Wars Battlefront. They keep adding free updates to it, so I keep playing it when there's free stuff. Because so they added a map. Whoa! They, <laughs> the thing that the game needs more of is maps, and they add they had they added two free maps within the past two months. There's been like a free map each month. The only problem is they're on the same planets. So there's another Hoth level. Damn it. Oh. <laughs> and there's another indoor level. Then uh, the Hoth level, it's just Hoth. Like the layout is cool, I guess. Uh, it's still just snow war world. It's snow, but I guess it's more interesting in that there's more indoor stuff and there's more like, there's more opportunity for like, uh, interplay because these two maps are more like linear. So there's like, Clearly, you have more defined, like, this is the Rebel side, this is uh, the Empire side, and they do interesting environmental stuff, but it, uh, the indoor map is much better because they actually, they have a cave full of spiders. I hate spiders, but it's cool that it's, they at least made some new art for this thing uh, and gave it out for, and it's like, it's supposed to be indoor after episode six, so it's like all like dried out. And uh, it's basically like after a fire happened, I guess. And it has this cool look that wasn't in the other indoor map, which I appreciate because the Hoth level was just snow. Um, But yeah, they keep updating it. And as long as they do that, I'm probably kind of keep playing it. The other thing is like uh, I'm at home right now and we got Verizon Fios. So I actually have decent internet at home now, which I didn't. 
before. So my version of basking in the good internet is playing Star Wars Battlefront, I guess. Lagging. <laughs> delicious. Yep. Relatively. There's still some moments, but that's just internet. Yeah. Um, okay. you know, it's actually really um kind of surprising to me that um Star Wars Battlefront has had so much like free it's had so many free additions to it because um EA is pretty um infamous for having like releasing like incomplete games and making you pay for the DLC and stuff like that and having all this DLC and additions that they release that you have to pay for. So it's like mm-hmm. so out of character in my opinion for them to release all these free maps and this new stuff like they've been doing. I'm just like what are you doing EA? This is so unlike you, but also good. So it's like, what? Yeah, but isn't there also me, a forty dollars season pass for this game? Yeah. So for me, it's like they, I, I feel like they didn't expect this game to be as popular as it is. So they need to find some way to dis, to sustain the the fan base because they have four DLCs lined up and they're both like in separate quarters of the year, um, which is a pretty long time for a to keep your fan base sustained so they need to do free stuff like this uh to keep people playing and it's working for me <laughs> um i don't know if i'll buy the dlc i will see uh but the season pass i believe it's 50 and it's for four dlc which is like four separate planets they announced cloud city uh the death star which like i don't understand how you ship your star wars game without the death star i was about to say but that's i guess that's besides the point and they announced another one but i don't remember what it is uh but yeah if i were them i would just put force awakens things in it but they're not gonna do that um Uh, we're not gonna break canon but you can play darth vader on jakku or whatever yeah and also play boba fett Yeah, we talked about this last time, yep. so we don't need to dredge up old <laughs> bullshit excuses, but yeah. Um, I don't know how I feel about EA, though. Like, I, they put out Battlefield, Battlefield Hardline, which is like the most tone-deaf fucking game in the world. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they also make Dragon Age and Mass Effect, and those are okay. Yeah. Well, see, me. but Bioware does that. Like sure, in... but EA has a huge part in funding yeah. and right. distributing all that stuff. Like they are in charge when it comes to that stuff, regardless of the developers. Yeah, I my policy is I dislike EA, but I love Bioware. So mm-hmm. that's just, just support. Me. Just don't care about publishers. Just to care about the developers you care about. Uh, and uh, I guess the last thing is um i started playing the witness which is like an open world puzzle game uh by jonathan blow and other developers that game is too large to to have one person work on it that's not possible um i don't have a lot to say about it uh but ryan why did you buy this game i bought it here's (laughs) the thing ready Mm -hmm. i'm gonna say six words (gasps) And it's gonna make people mad. Oh no! Drum roll. So I'm... Okay. I've been playing the witness <laughs> with a guide. 
Why would that make people mad? <laughs> because it's a puzzle game and that's the whole point. But I'm not there for the puzzles, really. I do do the puzzles sometimes and they're satisfying to complete. Uh, but they're very hard. And I just want to see the environment. I just want to see all the art. Because the art is very pretty. And that's what I'm there for. I want to I want to be there to explore. Like Firewatch, I want to be there to explore the environment and just soak it all in. And so. act like the statues are looking at butts. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I have a problem with this idea that games need to be like you're like we talk about this a lot, but like playing a game wrong. Um, because that's the whole thing is it's it's the only medium of art where you can like make choices and change things and and go down different paths than other people who enjoy the same thing. Um, everyone plays RPGs for different reasons. We play. When I played Battlefront, I played it to talk to people. Or when I play MMOs, I play them for social reasons. I don't care how the game itself is. Um, if you play The Witness with a guide wide open and you're just following it and you're like, I want to look at the pretty trees and take the pretty screenshots, that's your game. <laughs> that's The Witness. Mm-hmm. Then no one should tell you that is the wrong way to play that or like you're not seeing getting the full game because you are seeing all of it, like more than some people are even. Um, yeah. just because you don't want to connect a bunch of dots and lines and mazes. I don't know what the witness actually is. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's what... basically... Me neither. Uh, yeah. lines, lines and mazes. <clears throat> yeah. It's very hard. You're trying to witness complex. the whole game. Ha <laughs> Ryan's going to drop me out of the sky. Oh, no! <laughs> I cannot be but, silenced! Yeah. That's all I really want to say about the witness. I have nothing else. And uh, I think that's it. Does anyone want to say anything else before we take a break? Um, I was going to mention about like playing the games the wrong way thing. Mm-hmm. Like there, um, I've noticed people will be like, oh, you play games on, because what I do is I really love plot heavy games and like mm-hmm. games that put a lot of emphasis on like um, relationships with like party members and stuff. So you mentioned like Bioware and Dragon Age and Mass Effect, like those games are my favorite types of games um and while i enjoy combat a lot of the times i'll play put my game on easy because like i'm not there for the combat specifically i'm there for like the plot and questing and like talking to my party members and building relationships and stuff like that and i've come across a lot of people in my life like in gaming circles and they're like i can't believe you play on easy like there's that's ridiculous there's no challenge it's like but that's not what I'm playing it for. Like, I'm playing mm-hmm. it to have fun my way and dying all mm-hmm. the time and having to restart and do battles over and over and over again is not my cup of tea. Like, yeah. Um, and I just wish there wasn't, like, this, this kind of culture where you have to play a game a certain way or you have to play combat and that kind of stuff, so. Yep, I agree. It's also, like... I don't have time to die over and over in Dragon Age just to see what's there, you know? Yeah. And that's also, I, from what I hear, that's also just a sexism thing of just like, oh, you're not a real gamer. That if too. If you're playing that on easy. That yeah. has been my experience because most of the people I'm talking about are boys who are very sexist. Mm-hmm. So, <sighs> yeah. I, I recommend everyone check out nowrongwaytoplay.tumblr.com. It kind of goes into exactly what we're talking about. And it's just a Tumblr managed by the lovely Anthony Birch, who actually wrote a lot of Borderlands 2, which we just kind of poo-pooed on its writing <laughs> earlier. <laughs> well, you know. But um, 
as you know, everything is written by multiple people, and they they curate this Tumblr of like different ways that games can be played that are non-traditional, like playing City Skyline with only one house, or you know, oh playing gosh. Destiny as a dance simulator, or playing Super <laughs> Mario World by warping around the credits and stuff. Like all of these unique um, ways. It's a very interesting thing to like just scroll through. And Minecraft as a vegetarian <laughs> is another one. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's that's what this medium allows people to do is you can express yourself and express the way you want to explore a space um, totally. by doing whatever you want. That's All right. Awesome. Anything else? Not for me. Let's pokey some mods. <laughs> well, before we do that, we're going to take a break real quick. So when we come back, we're going to talk about our shared experience. Yay. Woohoo. shared experience this episode as alan alluded to before is pokemon uh so i'm just gonna start this segment off by saying that i'm relatively new to pokemon i played i have memories of playing some of the games as a kid like i was probably yellow or something but i don't remember if i borrowed a copy from a friend or if i bought it myself because i don't think i still have it but at some point i played a little bit of Pokemon because I remember the UI very distinctly, um, but I don't think I played much of it. And then, uh, in preparation for this cast, I started playing Pokemon X. I haven't finished it. I played like 15 hours or so, and I enjoyed it. I don't think it's perfect by any means, but it's really like a nice, casual thing of just like play through a town or two, put it down for the rest of the day and pick it up sometime later uh a lot of the pokemon are very cute but the most effective pokemon are really ugly <laughs> not to body yeah. shame pokemon i'm really sorry about <laughs> no, that it's but it's okay i, I um, definitely agree and some of the ui could be better like navigating the map or seeing what the attacks do when you're in a battle yeah. i wanted to like press down and see what the attack did before i used the attack because a lot of the times I forget what the attacks do, so I just blindly choose an attack and it didn't really benefit the situation, which ended up just brute forcing most battles instead of taking like a more intelligent route, like weakening a Pokemon so I can capture them. I ended up accidentally making them faint, um, so I ended up doing that a lot. But I think other than that, other than like the UI stuff and like 
the lack of seeing abilities and stuff, I really enjoyed uh, what I've played of Pokemon X. And you two have been playing Pokemon since you were kids, so yeah. this segment is more about y'all than it is about me. So <laughs> No, don't say that. You're included. <laughs> you are with us. You're I'm one included, of us now. But you you both have more perspectives on the series than I do. Yeah, it's I'm we're gonna come back to you when we get to generation six, but I think for Katie and I the best way to approach this because we're doing this shared experience as an entire property as opposed to a single yes. thing, which um, means that we kind of have to break it up into specific stuff. So I think a fun way to do this is to kind of go generation by generation because each of them is this sort of self-contained world and time period for people and everyone has like specific memories of them. So Katie and I have both played most of these generations so we can just kind of go one by one and talk about what we think of them and stuff like that. Um, first up was generation one, which was um, in America, red and blue and eventually yellow and in japan it was red and green and those came out in japan in october 15th 1996 and uh february 27th 1996 in uh dallas that's the red and green and the north america was september 1998 so katie uh which of these which of what are, what are, what of generation one did you play and what did you think of it um, let's see. Mostly, um, of generation one, I have, uh, like, I, I actually have all of the copies of the Pokemon series. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, I didn't actually play generation one until I was older because, um, it came out before I was born. And so by the time I was like conscious enough to actually play Pokemon, it was generation two. That was all the rage. Um, so what I played is I'm, I, I played Pokemon Yellow um, more than the rest of them. Um, my second most played was probably Pokemon Blue, but I definitely yes. enjoyed um, Yellow the most because Pikachu would, like, you know, follow you around and you could talk to Pikachu and all kinds of stuff. Um, and most of my experience um, with the first generation comes from mm -hmm. basically me playing other people's games because around that time... Um, I was I was really young, but I went to this one daycare, um, which it has long since closed down. But basically, like, it was before the second generation had come out, but um, first generation was still a thing. And because of that, Pokemon was actually the first video game and, like, card collection thing I had ever gotten into. But um, so my friend, I, I would play his Pokemon Red copy and stuff like that. Um, so a lot of my experience from the first generation comes from, like, being in a daycare and borrowing other people's copies to play momentarily. And they're like, you can play, but you can't save, you yep. know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so um, I don't know. The Like, besides those kinds of memories, um, the biggest experience I had was playing Pokemon Yellow starting in my sophomore year of high school because, yep. you know. I have my limited edition Game Boy Color that has, I actually have it right here, but it has um, Pikachu and Pichu on it. And uh, like the power button that shows the light is Pikachu's cheek. Oh, that's so perfect. It's so Aww. cool. But um, so yeah, when I got that, I, um, I played Pokemon Yellow. And just by comparison, that game is so hard compared to the, yeah. uh, the newer ones. And there's just, like, so much stuff that, like, 
you know, in the newer games, you think, oh, this is, you, you take it for granted. And then you get to Pokemon Yellow in the first generation, it's like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Because there's so much grinding in the first generation. And besides the grinding, there's the, um, the fact that, like, you have to switch boxes. Pokemon yeah. aren't <laughs> automatically transferred to a new box. So if you catch a Pokemon and you don't have room for it, bye-bye. You never <laughs> caught it. Um, and that is literally the worst thing because what if you forget to change your box because you don't know what it is and then you're, you know, you're catching Mewtwo or Mew. And, uh, well, it wasn't space, so looks for you. Yeah. But, um, it, so yeah. It was a really weird time. So I also, um, the first one that I owned was Gen 2, and then I played a friend's copy of Gen 1. I think that's a pretty common thing for people because of the years that it came out. Um, I played a lot of Blue. That was the one that I always played a lot of, and I always had um, Squirtle was my starter. That was my, like, always. And I played a lot of Blue, and I remember getting caught in church for getting really excited that I caught a Magmar, like specifically that. <laughs> and that was, I was never allowed to bring my Game Boy to church again. But um, Red and Blue are just such... It's such an interesting generation because it is the first one of, of what would eventually become one of the biggest properties of all time. And the story of this generation itself is also about like branching out into the unknown and exploring like the fields of science and the fields of technology that we haven't thought about. So, you know, you play as a male only character because they didn't have fe playable females until Pokemon Crystal, I believe. And, yep. you know... You're a little boy with a hat, and you go on this adventure, and a lot of the themes um, and stuff that you see from, like, the way the Pokemon look and the way the story progresses are about, um, like, DNA splicing and uh, sort of experimenting with animals and how that is um, bad for the environment and bad for us as human beings to, like, try to change the external um, environment, like... You look at a Pokemon like Doduo, and you're like, that's a that's an ostrich with two heads. That is an extinct animal that now has two heads. And when it evolves, it grows a third head. And when you separate that from the fact that it's like a cute bird type, that's like really disturbing. And it was one of the first games that really incorporated trading um, with other people and like using that the Game Boy Color Link cable to trade with people. And a sort of metaphor for that that I never thought about when I was younger was that Trading is this idea within the context of the games is the idea that you're t you're sending your Pokemon through time and space to someone else's world, which explains that this concept of trade evolutions. So Pokemon evolve, they develop, they grow, which is a kind of overarching theme that we'll talk about. But um, when you send them through trades, they'll often mutate in ways that look very unnatural. Like you look at Machoke <laughs> to Machamp and it's like this oh, weightlifter grew three more arms. That is not cool. Or this, <laughs> this ghost Pokemon became solid. I mean, that sounds pretty cool to me. It's yeah. really cool, but it's like kind of like scary to look at. Like Machamp is very, it's just more <laughs> arms than it is thing. Um, <laughs> they just come out in this new universe mutated from what they've been through. Exactly. And like Gloom evolves into Vileplume. Like its flower just grows bigger than its body. Like it's, it's like kind of tragic. And Team Rocket is like, we're going to capture this. And it seemed so simple when I was younger, but I play it now. And it's like very, like that is all that is there. Because right now I've been playing the 3DS uh, re-releases of uh, of Yellow, which I never played as a kid. And Yellow is interesting because like you said, you have Pikachu following you around and you can get all the starters. And it's technically based on the anime. So Team Rocket is there. And uh, okay. 
you can catch a Pidgeotto in Viridian Woods, for example. There's like a 0.1% chance for that to happen, like yeah. Ash did. Um, there's a bunch of more stuff that is like specific to that one, but you know, red and blue, they set, they just new ground for RPGs and, um, like the way in like player progression because you got this party of six and you have that pc and everyone's evolving and like you said it's very it's difficult but it's in like a punitive way like every small victory becomes so much more rewarding because of how brutal it is um brock the first gym leader is just a basic rock type with two pokemon a geodude and an onyx which is a small rock and a big rock snake (laughs) yeah and defeated me over and over again and i was like i'm i'm Game's literate. Like, I know how to, how this works, and I'm doing terribly. But when you finally do, like, get lucky enough, or you get the right movesets, and you just conquer them, and you're like, this is it. This is exactly why people liked Pokemon, and why it yeah. caught on. Because it comes from a time in game design where um, difficulty meant game lasting longer. You know? That's why these games were hard. It's because there actually isn't a lot of game to Red and Blue. It's eight right. straight shots to gyms, and then an Elite Four, and that's the whole game. Um, yeah. and that's why they had to, they had to block your progress so often with like routes full of trainers that want to fight you and the slowest walking speed ever and switching boxes. Like all of this stuff was meant to keep the game feeling like it lasted longer. Um, which was a thing that they kind of leaned very hard away from as they moved on. Um, right. So then, yeah, yellow well, came out a little bit later. Ryan, what's up? I, well, I was going to say like, uh, to your point of like the slow walking and stuff i feel like they did move away from that but when i play pokemon x it feels like it's still a journey you know yeah. you're still moving yeah. to all these towns and places and it's kind of this meta of like you're playing this on a mobile device and naturally you'll probably be moving places while you're playing uh and i thought that was interesting while i was playing pokemon x in various places at school yeah because Pokemon in general is so much about, like, I started here, I started at the bottom, and now I'm here. <laughs> like, I, you know, I start in Pallet Town, I'm just, I have nothing to my name, and I come to the end, and I beat Dealey 4, and I get stuck in uh, Victory Road because they blocked you in that until you beat it for some dumb reason. Like, you earn your success, and it's this very, like, um, it's this weirdly Western, uh, like, ideal of, like, if you work hard enough and really struggle for a long time, you're going to get everything you want by the end. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to have really strong level Pokemon and it's going to be they're all going to be huge and buff and you know, trade with your friends and catch them all, get everything. It's very like consumerist like got to get everything. Um which is why I really liked uh Generation 2, which um is Gold and Silver and Crystal, which um came out in North America October 15th of 2000 and November 21st 99 in uh Japan. Uh Katie, you said this is your favorite generation? Yes, it is. And that's that's probably honestly for like nostalgic reasons, you know, yeah. um, just because it was the first one that I was really like conscious enough to enjoy. And um, it was probably like, you know, um, one of the more defining games of my childhood, because like I said, Pokemon was the first video game I'd ever experienced, like ever. And um, and then, you know, um, because I originally played silver, the silver version. And so. Um, you know, being a young girl when Crystal came out and now all of a sudden I could play as a girl oh, yes. and I was finally able to like, you know, um, have like a self insert and feel like I was really a part of the game instead of pretending to be a boy. Like this was actually me going on this journey and me doing all this stuff with my Pokemon and stuff. 
that was just a really awesome experience to have as a young girl. And, you know, I was also um, a pretty big tomboy when I was younger. Um, And because, you know, I had aspirations to be like, you know, first female president, like I'm going to join the army and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be a girl doing things in like these male dominated fields because I, I guess like really young me was a pretty intense feminist. Um, <laughs> Cause like at the time um, Crystal came out, I was like, what, like four or five or something like that. Um, but anyway, I, I just, um, it was so awesome to have this character that I could like finally relate to after playing, you know, Pokemon as a boy. I was like, look, it's me. I'm a girl. Um, and I, I guess that was like one of the most, why I related to it so much was because these other games I played in the past and had the experience of playing, like, I didn't feel like it was me going on a journey because it was a boy character, but now in Crystal, I had somebody to relate to. And, um, also like in that generation, the universe was way more colorful, um, because like, you know, in red, everything was red and blue, everything was blue and yellow, everything was yellow. Um, but now like in the second generation, everything had, um, new colors and there were these new types and, um, it kind of kept with the theme that, um, I actually, I, I wanted to say this one thing I think that's cool about Pokemon is that, um, the first town you start off in is called Palette Town and then all the rest of the, um, towns are like colors. Yeah. And, um, Cerulean, Pewter. Yeah. Yeah. And they they kept with that color theme in the second generation as well. They they built on it, and yeah. um, so everything is colors. And you know, it's actually a more colorful universe now. I have a girl character I can relate to. There's this new ice type, and that I thought was the coolest thing ever. Like, um, and also they introduced like steel, and um, I don't know. I guess just like that being a really defining um, game in my childhood has definitely made it my favorite generation. And it was really enjoyable in that aspect. It's such a beautiful and expansive generation because it was so much about like, it is, it's a direct sequel to red and blue. Whereas a lot of the other ones are kind of individual stories. Um, Gold and silver assumes that you've at least known about red and blue because at this point, Pokemon was a household name and you start a new bark town and you get your, you know, I picked Chikorita because I thought grass was cool and I never pick a grass starter. <laughs> so I wanted to mix things up. And like the big theme in Gen 2 was just like legacy and and the, and respecting the past. Like one of the first towns you go to is uh, the home of these like two gigantic temples. Um, I think I know there's like two different temples in, in Johto, which is the second generation country. But you go to this temple and there's like people praying to Bellsprout all the way up to the top. Yeah, and, the Bellsprout Tower. Yeah, the Bellsprout Tower and like the legend of Ho-Oh and Lugia. And it's all about like legacy and like the people before us came and left something for us. And like, what do we, how do we move on from that? And how do we um, change what they gave us? Like this was the first one where you could make Pokeballs with Kurt. You got Apricorns, which you could turn into Pokeballs. Um, there were... Just they introduced baby Pokemon, which also followed with that theme of like the child becomes the adult, and Pokemon that used to think you used to think were single evolutions now have a baby, which you know a lot of people didn't like that introduction because they felt like baby Pokemon were useless in terms of combat. But the baby Pokemon are the cutest Pokemon in existence. Uh, agree, of, very, know. very so much agree. 
Um, Smoochum and... to this day is my favorite Pokemon. I just want to say that. That's, that's a baby Pokemon that was introduced as the pre-evolved form of Jinx in Gen 2. So there you go. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was a long one too because what what happened was, and I remember the moment when I first, like this happened, was you beat the Elite Four in this one. And you see like, there's like the three dogs, Raikou, Suicune, and Entei. And you beat the Elite Four and you're like, I'm done. I beat a Pokemon game. And then it starts again. And then yes, the water to the east of your first starting town is opened up because now you can surf on water. And Professor Elm tells you, uh, you need to go to Kanto because we have problems going on in Kanto. And you're like, what? That's the other game. I'm going to the other game right now. Like, what Bring is happening? It back. It's, it's so all- exciting. It was thrilling that moment where you're going on the route and you're like, I'm now surfing south to north into Pallet Town. And you're like, I'm here. I'm in Gen 1. Like, I'm going to fight Brock again. And what was tragic about it was that it kind of, it's, th- I think, I believe it's three years later, um, canonically, but Kanto is not the same place that it once was anymore, and which is like kind of sad. Yeah. Everyone, everyone is older and a lot of people quit their jobs and, Stuff that was under construction and looked exciting has since been built and then collapsed. Um, <laughs> like, it's just really, it's this really sad journey through the thing that you just played a couple years ago. And you're like, wow, everything is just bad now. Um, like, Brock doesn't even know if he wants to be a gym leader anymore. And uh, Lieutenant Surge is just depressed because, you know, the army left him with severe uh, mental issues. Like, there's some dark stuff yeah. in the second half of Gold and Silver. Um and then it all wraps up, and you fight Sil- uh, Red, who is the character from Red and Blue, like you know the character you played. It's 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 basically like you are supposed yeah. to be, you know. They have the starter, and they have a legendary, and they're like, yeah, I'm, and they don't talk, which is perfect. Like you just fight yeah. Red at the end of Silver Cave, and he's like, hey, what? You know, it doesn't even say anything. You just fight him, and he's brutally hard. And then you are the new, um, you are the new master. So it's just kind of like the child defeats the master. Um, in this beautiful way and I remember so much about gold and silver partly because this was the first generation it was the second gen- second generation that was remade um they started going back and remaking them starting uh with gen 3 going back to remaking gen 1 but um let's move right along to that uh generation 3 ruby sapphire emerald uh japan november 21st 2002 north america march 19th 03 katie what what of gen 3 did you play Oh my gosh, I played so much. Um, I'm going to be honest, I think um, Sapphire actually had like my most hours played yeah. out of any of the um, Pokemon games that were released. Um, because like at this point, so like my first experience with Pokemon was at a, a different daycare. So like this was the one that I had moved on to. Like this is where I spent my summers. This is where I spent, like, you know, after school. So Pokemon for me has always been a really social experience because I've always had, like, people to bond with and people to trade Pokemon with and trade cards with and stuff. So I played um, Pokemon Sapphire. And, um, you know, I had my Torchic starter who I yes. thought... I've, I've always played the fire starters, actually. Um, so Torchic was my, my starter for that one. And, you know, I had um, my two best friends who I played it with. And um, one of them had Sapphire, but I remember the other one, um, she had Ruby. So we could be like, you know, trade with each other and complete each other's games and that kind of thing and help nice. each other. Yeah. Um, but I just remember being, because like me being in kindergarten, I remember 
hearing that um, Sapphire and Ruby were going to come out and I would spend like my days, you know, because in kindergarten you don't really do much, but I would spend my days like drawing um, the new Pokemon that were going to come out, like Kyogre and Groudon and stuff like that. I would draw them all the time in kindergarten up until the third generation came out because I just loved Pokemon so much. I was so excited. And like the graphics were such a huge leap. I was so impressed with like how everything looked because now everything wasn't all like ugly and pixelated. Like, you know, even though I thought the second generation was beautiful at the time, this thing was on a completely different level. And like, um, you know, you just have like this whole new area to explore and like all these new Pokemon um, that you've never seen before. And it's like in this beautiful thing and you have water that actually reflects your face back at you. Yep. That was and... the moment when the first time you see water that reflects or like you're in a puddle and you're like, oh, real I know. Water. <laughs> and like, you know, you walk on the sand and your footprints are behind you and, yep. um, you know, you splash when you walk through the puddles. I was like this is amazing and um you know you could grow berries now that was probably one of my favorite aspects of that was um like growing the berries because i always really like like you know the homely things like being a farmer and stuff <laughs> yeah and, like, they got the a breeding. lot of yeah. oh man i was um i guess like it being such a social experience a lot of my most vivid memories of pokemon were being like whenever it was movie time at my summer camp um, me and my two best friends were, like, with our Game Boy Advances, um, huddled up in the window for light because the lights were off when you watch movies and stuff. And we were all playing our games together. And honestly, I, I went back and played on my Game Boy Advance. I was like, how did I see anything on this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no backlight. Exactly. Um, I, on my 3DS, you can unlock hats for your me, and I've got a GB8 hat. Oh my gosh. Uh, Good. They also have like the N64 hat and the Virtua Boy hat. Uh, and I got those too. But it's funny to me to have a GBA on your head, uh, especially as someone who just had the SP. Oh, yeah. so you just had the good one. You know, you never. So I just had the good one. Oh my gosh. Uh, the SP is one of the greatest pe- designed like pieces of hardware ever. So good. You, you look at the SP and you're like, how did they, how did they even release the GBA? Yeah, <laughs> why, how could the they have? They, yeah, I guess you got to iterate. But like, wow, the SP is still to this day amazing. It's like even more profound from like the 3DS to the 3DS or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, so I this is again, yeah, like similarly for me, uh, this was the generation that I got into socially with people. So, like, I didn't have a lot of school friends um, for a long time, so I played Ruby um, in the bathroom of another church that I went to with some childhood friends, which, okay, the bathroom was, like, really big, and there was, like, a, like, a lobby situation where there was a couch, which oh, I remember okay. was, like, a wicker couch. We were just <laughs> sitting on the toilet, like, playing Pokemon. I was like, oh, gosh, that's awful. Like, just oh, yeah. in the cramped stalls playing Pokemon. We would, we would just, like hurry up and we were altar boys and we would just be like please please finish up so the service so that we can go and uh, talk about where you found uh reggie rock like ruby and sapphire to me will always be the one that had so much mystery because this was still like before i was using the internet and before um like all of the stuff had been leaked online this was the last generation where i was able to do that i had ruby my friend had sapphire and we were just always like talking about rumors and like oh did you hear that this thing can happen if you breed this character pokemon with this one like it was such a um, 
like friend experience for me and that's a big reason why it's my favorite um generation uh the story for this one is also really great because it's just it's like a summer vacation it's half of the world is water which a lot of people don't like because um surfing is slow and there's constantly wild pokemon fights but that just gave it the feel of like you're on the beach like you're going for a swim and you're exploring these underwater caves and you're diving through the water and the like new villains which were not team rocket anymore uh, team magma and team uh aqua um and one of them wanted to expand the landmass of the world and one of them wanted to expand the, the oceans um so it just became this story about like yeah we can't fucking change the environment we can't change the way things are because that's not how the natural order works and when we try to do that we break everything um and like coming to terms with that because you know at that point as a kid i was very idealistic and thinking like if we could just do xyz and like elect this president then everything would be perfect um which like this game is very clearly just like no the way that we want to change the world is actually very harmful and we need to learn to live um harmoniously with the way that nature works um and that has all yeah it's a good one i just think like um i i really appreciated this game because i think it was a lot more um mystical than its predecessors mm-hmm. because it, it had a lot more with like puzzles and like these um and like you were talking about with generation two or is like um like reverence almost to these like um the past and these yeah. legendary pokemons and stuff um i just remember um the third generation having a lot of puzzles and things you had to figure out for yourself especially when it came to like the the reggies like reggie rock reggie ice and reggie steel those were huge puzzles you had to put together. And, um, like, there was that mystical aspect, um, the aspect of, like, you know, uh, these other three legendaries, um, the uh, Kyogre and Groudon and Rayquaza or whatever. Yeah. And I also think um, that the physical aspect of puzzles was um, greater in this game because, you know, you had the bikes and you would, like, have the different Two modes. Yeah, and you could like hop and also like when you're going up in the tower to get um Rayquaza and you have to like navigate cuz the floor falls out yep. underneath you. Um I remember that being one of the most challenging things I had ever experienced in a game to that point. And like you earned it when you got to the top. Yes. I just and um I guess I really appreciate it because, like, you know, you have the spin puzzles and, like, the floor tile things in the past, but now you have, like, puzzles that actually require physical skill and not just, um, like, thinking through and, like, mental puzzles. Like, now you have puzzles that you have to think about, but also that you have to physically be able to complete, like, with your hands and stuff. It was just so cool. I I really... um, I also really like the how they had different themes for the towns, like not just like color wise, but you had this town that was set up in the treetops. Then you had this town that was um, in the sea, like yeah, like it's like you have to, it's like hidden by a like a crater that rose in from the water, and you have to dive under and then under. A, yep. Yeah, Sutopolis is awesome. And, and also, that's when they had Pokemon contacts. That's what do, they introduced. Do you the like contest. Pokemon contests? I do. I love Pokemon contests. Well, what do you like about them? I'm not. I'm just curious. I don't know. Like, um, because I I really like the physical aspects of Pokemon, and I really like cute Pokemon and stuff like that. 
because um, like Ryan was saying earlier, like the Pokemon that are really strong are kind of ugly. <laughs> yeah. Fully ugly. Yeah, that's um, the thing. The contest made it so the cute Pokemon could succeed. Exactly. They could win like, things. Now they have uh, an outlet where these Pokemon that like might not be the best like battle wise are all of a sudden amazing at contests and it it feels so rewarding because like it's it has to do with a lot of planning like how you set up your moves and stuff and how they relate to everything and I really like how they expanded on the contest and later um later generations but um the contests were always such a uh a big thing for me in the um, third generation. I was so proud whenever I, you know, finally beat the last level of um, the contest and things like that. And it was just such an such a good experience for me because now these Pokemon that like I loved but um, couldn't really use in battles were useful, and I was really happy to be using them and stuff. And they could achieve something. So. Yeah, I think contests and the physical stuff and the gym puzzles, like you mentioned, were the moment where Game Freak realized, like, we can make this game fun and diverse and interesting without it just being combat. Because Red and Blue and Gold and Silver are to an extent, like, combat and walking. That's, like, kind of the whole game. Um, Ruby Sapphire was like, there's the Puzzle Man's house, which I always loved as a kid. You go there once a day and he has a new yep. room full of puzzles. And that's all about, like, moving blocks around or using teleporters or, like, all sorts of things that you can do in a top-down 2D environment. Um, and there's the gyms and there's just like the way that you have to explore the space. Like a lot of it is about movement and that's why there's all these bikes and the bike trail was a big deal in this one. Excuse me. Um, it's just such a, that's why it felt like summer vacation to me. Like you're just, you're digging up fossils and you're, uh, sneaking into temples so that you can resurrect ancient evil and capture it. And like, you know, you're stopping the bad people from, like, it just feels like a, like a child's version of an ideal summer adventure kind of. That is what I always thought of with Ruby and Sapphire. And you're moving around and you're solving things and you're discovering secrets. Um, this was the game that really, yeah, they, they drilled, drilled down on those secrets, which was such a big deal um, for like 10-year-old or whatever, 8-year-old Alan. Um, next up, oh, I should also mention real quickly that Generation 3 also included the first remakes, which were Fire Red and Leaf Green. Remakes of uh, Red and Blue, or, you know, Red and Green, um... Those were pretty good. I played a lot of those. A lot of people say that's the best way to play Gen 1 at this point, is the remakes. Yeah. Um, those are solid. But moving right along, uh, Gen 4, which I have way less to say about, encompasses <laughs> um, Diamond, Pearl, Platinum, and the remakes of Gold and Silver, which were Heart Gold and Soul Silver. And these came out in... Uh, Diamond and Pearl came out September of 06 in Japan and April of, oh, April of 07 in America. Um, I'm interested in what you thought about Gen 4, Katie. Um... Okay, so basically when Gen 4 came out, I was like, so you know how when you're a kid, like, I don't know, you are you can do things, but you're not, like, fully conscious of what you're doing? Yeah. Gen 4 was basically, like, where I knew what I was doing, and I was like, I'm a Pokemon master, you know, by this time. Um, right. So, uh, Gen 4 was basically, like, where, um, oh, God, I, gamer elitist nostalgia Caitlin was like I don't like these new Pokemon I like the original Pokemon yep. and blah blah I've I've gotten past that um but I that's how I felt about the fourth generation um but overall I did enjoy it because um 
like the fourth generation was when you got more detail on your character. Yeah. Um, and you got to actually see more like physical aspects of them. And instead of your eyes being just like these dots on your head, you actually had some detail in the eyes and, um, you know, the characters had cute outfits and I don't know, I guess the fourth generation wasn't as impactful for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I really liked the, um, I liked the Pokemon that came out for it after some time. I definitely warmed up to them. Um, right, right. But I have never really liked, like, um, you know how they have the Yuxi, Azelf, and Mesprit? Yeah. Um, in that one? I I was not fun fond of, like, chasing Pokemon around yeah. like that. Yeah. And because, like, it's just exhausting and i'm and you know in the um the previous games like you kind of have like with latios and latias and the gener in the third generation um you you can kind of chase them um but it wasn't like as plot related as um, yeah you had to chase these three you had to chase them in in the fourth generation and that was like so taxing for me because it was not like fun it was like uh a chore. I did not like chasing them. Um, I mean, I thought Yuxi was really cute, but <laughs> other than that, like um, the legendary Pokemon in the fourth generation weren't um, <laughs> interesting at all. I agree. Um, and I honestly can't even tell you what the plot of that game was <laughs> because I just don't remember. Um, but like. I mean, like, as far as the um, people you were fighting and stuff like that, I, I can't, like, I don't remember the big thing um, other than, like, I don't know. I remember it, it was very pretty. Yeah. Um, and it had more of, like, if you remember the music in Hoenn, um, like, you know, well, first going back to the first generation, it was a lot of, like, you know, the 8-bit style music. Yeah. Um, And then in Hoenn, it had, like, the notorious Hoenn trumpets. Right? <laughs> yep, I know the song exactly, the one you're thinking of. But, um, Generation 4 had, like, real music yeah. that came with it. Um, so I, I guess, like, honestly, the thing I appreciate most about the fourth generation is its soundtrack. Um, because honestly, like, as far as, like, story elements and, um, new aspects to the game that we didn't have before, um, I think the soundtrack was was honestly, in my opinion, the most impactful part of the fourth generation. Um, and they also expanded on the contests in the fourth generation, which I thought was really nice. Um, but also the visuals, like I said, had a huge upgrade. I don't know. Um, I, 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 I'm going to be honest. I did not like the fourth generation nearly yep. as much. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it was okay. And I don't know. Maybe if I went back, I'd enjoy it more, but it wasn't my my biggest thing. Um, yeah. But I did You're... like the snowier environment that it had. Yes, there. exactly. That's when they added snow at this point. It was like a thing that would yep. sit on the ground and you could walk through it. Your, your like crunch and stuff. Your hesitation about this generation echoes me exactly because this was the generation that I mostly remember for thinking about it, but not for playing it because... At this point, I was like, like you said, consciously thinking about criticism and stuff. And I was also on the internet, um, like reading about stuff. So when these were released in Japan, like this is like the largest gap between releases. Um, 
I read so much about them and was like reading translations and fan on Serebii.net, uh, which is a, a to yeah. this day an amazing resource for like reading about stuff that hasn't been released in Pokemon yet, but it's going to be. Um, like reading these translations, and then I like bought the Pokemon Ranger game because you could get another legendary oh for these. Gosh, Pokemon Ranger is not a good game. game. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't hold Pokemon up at all. Ranger. It's it's cute, but it's really like the gameplay mechanic of circling, drawing circles around Pokemon is not fun. And sometimes you'd have to draw like two hundred circles on the really hard ones. Exactly, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But Ranger anyway. is not is not great. But that was the one that like that came out before this, so people were like, oh, Sinnoh, like, oh, what's the new generation gonna look like? And it comes out and. Every change they added was, like, in the service of making things slower. Um, like, a lot of the weather effects, while nice, were just, like, well, now I'm walking through snow and things are slow. And it's really pretty, but, like, I can't go anywhere. And it's off. It's by, it's considered by many to be the slowest generation because of that chasing the legendary stuff. Um, because of the... just like, so much busy work. Like, none of the stories memorable. You got Team Galactic, and I don't know what their goals were. See, um, I didn't even remember who they were. When right, I, I I only know that because I have the wiki in front of me, and like Dialga and Palkia, the two uh, legendaries, were just like the time and space Pokemon. So you know, this was a generation where they got into like the origins of Pokemon. Where did they come from? But they never like answered any questions, and it just kind of like came and went. And it felt like you know we're on a new platform, and we don't know what to do with it. We're on the DS now, and we don't we have the touchscreen, but um the thing that i loved about the the part of gen 4 that i loved was the remix of gold and silver heart gold and soul silver are to this day amazing amazing remakes that added so much and fixed so much about the original gold and silver while retaining what made those games so special um and i really liked um how they added that like your any pokemon you wanted could follow you right and that just made it feel so much more like involved I guess, like, I loved walking with my Pokemon in Pokemon Yellow, and the fact that, like, I could do it with any Pokemon now in this, in the remakes was just so awesome, because I, one thing I did like about the fourth generation was Pal Park, I yeah. think, I think that's what it was called. Yes, it was where the you thing could, where you like, could catch your old Pokemon. Yeah, that, um, that, that was nice. I did like that addition, because they didn't have anything like that in the third generation, so basically everything you're done in um the original one and two like, was gone yep i mean it still kind of is right because, uh, like, yeah but um yeah I, I like pal park and i did like how they had where you could go to like the the park thing with your the pokemon you had with you like i don't know what it was called exactly but you could take your pokemon out and run around a park with them yeah, and there was like mini games involving your Pokemon, and uh, you know, Heart Gold and Soul Silver introduced the Pokewalker, which was a physical pedometer oh, that you yeah. could put your Pokemon in and level it up. It was a cute little. It worked. You know, it's yep. actually one of the best pedometers you can buy for cheap. <laughs> like, it's a really good uh, thing to have. Um, yeah, I just I don't think about uh, Diamond and Pearl much anymore because you know I'd like to play. I I don't have my copy of Diamond anymore. Um, and I'm not particularly interested in finding it. And it's like, oh, these, they just kind of came and went. Like I, And what's sad is that this was the last generation of Pokemon that I played for until very, very, very recently. Like just a couple months ago. Um, so it's it was kind of a bummer note to end on. But I didn't stop because I didn't like the generation. I just stopped because life, my life changed a lot after um, Diamond and Pearl. Um, did you play Platinum at all? I did. I did play Platinum. Platinum, from what I've read, is really interesting because it was their first attempt to, like, almost make a sequel because it was, like, the same game, but they added stuff at the they end. They added, 
so much to it actually and they added looker um, and the dream nightmare world and yeah yep the, the nightmare world was actually pretty cool or the dream world thing whatever it was called yeah that, that was actually pretty cool i did enjoy that um but i don't i also thought it was cute how they had like they basically in platinum it was the um like winter yeah it was like the, several months whole, later yeah it was the winter of the whole universe of the um previous games or well i guess it's like partner games yeah, um yeah. and you even had an outfit change to accommodate for that yeah exactly they they put a lot of effort into platinum and that was clearly their first attempt you know since gold and silver to be like wait what if we made the same world but did different stuff in it which as we're gonna get to in a minute was the thing that they decided was really cool um was generation five which um (laughs) was pokemon black pokemon white pokemon black 2 and pokemon white 2 um black and white came out uh in march of 2011 in uh in North America in September of 2010 in Japan. I didn't even touch this generation, Katie. So, you're going to have to <laughs> you're going to have to tell me about this one. I don't know um, anything. This was this was my my prime time of this new Pokémon is stupid. Um, you know, I I I like the older Pokémon. I want the older Pokémon back. Um, you know, we have this ice cream cone and <laughs> we have a trash monster. Oh, like, don't ever hate on my trash son. Don't ever I, hate I on did, my trash son. I did. I used to hate I'm on in, the trash son. I'm in son. Pokemon Black and White? Yeah. Oh, oh no. Man. Yeah, it's no. you. <laughs> it's a cameo. No, but I was like, okay, there's ice cream cones and a giant trash monster and yeah. cells. I was like, these Pokemon are just atrocious. Um, but I, and I did eventually cave. Um, and I, I can't remember. I think I might have Black. Yeah, I do have the black version. Um, and I played maybe max five hours. Um, yeah. It was cute. Um, and I I really liked... The graphics weren't, weren't an exceptional leap for me um, in the fifth generation. And um, one thing I do like is the storyline. Like the moral ambiguity, I guess, of yeah, um, yeah. the game and like what these people are doing. Um, I think that was pretty awesome storytelling and like very thought provoking. Um, but what, what's the story? Basically it's like the bad guys really aren't the, they're not bad. Like mm-hmm. it, that, that's kind of the whole theme of black and white. Um, this is team plasma, correct? Oh yeah. So team plasma is all like Pokemon shouldn't be captured in balls and made to fight each other. We should let them be free and live on their own. And you're like, good idea. But at the same time, I'm fighting you with my Pokemon against yours. Like, what are you, yeah. <laughs> what are you arguing for right now? But um, I actually thought that uh, Pokemon Black and White was too hard. As somebody who, you know, basically played Pokemon since the beginning, I struggled so much. Um, and that's actually why I gave up because um, I got to a point where my Pokemon were getting no experience for, um defeating pokemon in the wild but i was too weak to even defeat trainers even though they were in the exact same area right right. i was like what in the world so i actually balanced i don't even think i got to the first gym if i did get to the first gym then that's all i got to um and i just gave up so i i didn't play much of black and white either and i also hated the pokemon i don't even 
to this day, I still don't even know all the fifth generation Pokemon. I, I could not name them if you asked. I, I, I did a lot of research in the last two weeks about this generation because I find it incredibly fascinating the design decisions that Game Freak decided to make this gen. Because, like, first things first, no no remake this time. Um, this is the first time that they skipped making a remake. They did make sequels, though, which we'll talk about real briefly. But um, it's like we're at the end of the DS's life cycle, and we are like we can do 3D, but not a lot of 3D. So like here's 2D characters in a polygonal world. Like ah, oh, this is really hard, and you know it's based on New York City, and we have all these moral questions, but we're not no moral answers. We're gonna lean way hard into story, but also the combat is hard. Like a lot of people, that's that's why this was one of the like most controversial generations was. People are like, I don't even know what they're doing. Like, where is Pokemon going right now? I'm very worried that it's leaning too much into this, like, combat-heavy, story-heavy um, situation and not just about, like, exploring a world and, and the feeling of that exploration. Um, part of the problem, what you were saying you don't remember any of the Pokemon, is, like, this was the first gen where they said, no, you will not see anything from a previous generation until you beat the game. Everything you see is from Gen 5, which meant that they had so many, like over a hundred in just this one that you're like, I don't even know. What is this? I, ice cream evolves into double ice cream, evolves into yeah. triple ice cream. Like, what is this? And here's a single cell. Um, it's doing mitosis and now it's a bigger cell. And <laughs> like, yep. Here's a Pokemon. That... That's just a dude with black belt, like <laughs> gi on. And here's his like version counterpart where the skin is a different color. That's <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that dude looks so cool though. Throw in sock. Yeah. Yeah. They're in Gen yeah. 6 as well, so, you know, Ryan has seen those. Yep. But it's just... And then here's a Pokemon. He is a little pile of trash, and then he turns into a big pile of trash. Yay, <laughs> me grown up. A lot of people, <laughs> me in 10 years. A lot of people joke about um, Garbodor I want to defend real briefly just because people are like, oh, it t- it's supposed to be New York, so they're just saying Americans are trash. But it's like, no, that game is about, like, you know, black and white and, like, things that are opposites. And um and how we we assume as uh, people that like you can just throw your trash away in the ocean and it'll be fine and you can it'll who cares and Garbodor and Trubbish are like no if you throw your trash in the in the ocean and let it fester and mutate it's gonna turn it's gonna come back at you and it's gonna fight you it's not you can't just throw your problems away. So I want to jump to X and Y since you guys clearly don't like uh black and white and also because we're running long yeah, right. uh and i just wanted to ask uh do you think from what you played of why that pokemon loses something by not exploring those themes because from from what i played x is not really too theme heavy like they do have messages that are like you should accept beliefs that are outside of yours but like those are relegated to small chit chat it's mostly just largely gameplay focused yeah, X and Y, it feels, it doesn't feel like a soulless game. It feels like it's just trying so many things and like grabbing for straws and a lot of it fails because it's like, oh, you didn't even explore this. Like Lumio City, the, the hub city of it is so big and like it just, what do I do here? Why am I here? It's France. But I, I've played almost as much Pokemon Y as you've played of X and I, again, I don't know where the story is going. It doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. <laughs> like, What's the theme? What's the point? Yeah. They gesture at the leader of Team Flare, but I haven't seen anything meaningful come of that just yet. It's clear that he's not a good dude. Right. But uh, other than that, I haven't seen any other story stuff from that yet. 
X and Y is just a weird. Katie, we've all played um this X and Y at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a good one. The other thing is they like added like eighty Pokemon, which is nothing, or like less than that even. Right. So you spend a lot of it seeing old stuff, and you're like, I don't. This is like the magic is gone in a way. It is totally the Pokemon game that is made for me, right? Where it's very easy. And totally. you see a lot of familiar Pokemon that you might have seen in like some piece of marketing or some game that you borrowed from a friend. And that alone is enough because the game is relatively easy. You can brute force a lot of battles. And if you want that game to just be, hey, I'm just going to worry about collecting the cute Pokemon and not worry about anything else. You could totally play it like that. And that's how I'm playing it. And I'm really enjoying it. So, um, like... For me, X was the the Pokemon game that got me back into Pokemon because, like, you know, I was disillusioned with Generation 4 um, slightly, and then, like, Generation 5 to me was, like, a disaster. Um, but yes. I loved this the sixth generation. I loved Pokemon X because, um, you know, with the introduction of fairy types, like, you know, there's this whole new, like girly aspect to it for me that i i really appreciate um oh my god all of the dress up things the dress ups and the pr videos that you can do are so cute oh my god i love that i loved the layout of the pokemon contest in this one um and like they made it so much easier to get through the game and like you know as i've gotten older and played more games sometimes i don't really like um the combat aspect of things sometimes i do sometimes i don't i don't know it just depends um, mm-hmm. But I loved how there was now this party-wide experience share, so you don't have to grind and grind and grind. You can just play through and enjoy the game. Um, the moment where you get that for me, I was like, okay, this game is actually going to be something that I can enjoy. Because I didn't like switching out Pokemon. Exactly. Just for them to get experience. But I, I felt like that was awful. And so um, now it's something that I can actually like play through. And, you know, now they have this 3D thing to it and your character is really well defined like graphically like you can see everything on your character you know you can dress them up you make them unique like this is the first generation where you can actually make your character you for the most part I inside wish the gender it, binary but i wish it had more skin tones than i that. i do there's like three yes right? three yeah. there's like one's white one's kind of pale one's kind of brown yeah. yep. it's not real it's not enough <laughs> i agree uh, but you know at least you can dress your character up. If anything, X oh. and Y is about the sorry is about the natural beauty of the world, and like there's the character who's supposed to look like Audrey Hepburn, and she's like, oh, I act in movies because I'm beautiful, and the guy who is like her her friend or whatever manager is like, no, you need to. What if you could stay young forever? Like that would be perfect for you, so that you could like kind of like playing with this idea of natural beauty, and that's why a lot of it takes place like in like grasslands and around with like flowers and stuff and that's why pokemon ami exists which is um a joke that i never got until just now pokemon ami like mon ami because it's french french yeah it's a good joke it is it is in french it, um, it is in france and so. that's that's the thing where it's like you can pet your pokemon on the bottom of the screen and it you know it makes it this very like tight connection between you and them uh, yeah i i, I love that so much like like I said, Pokemon X is what got me back into Pokemon, and I just really appreciated that game because now, like, the grinding is one of the things that I hated about Pokemon, like, throughout the entire series. Yeah. Um. So, 
with the experience share being party wide, that was something that really alleviated that that pain for me. And like now um, they make, you know, like with EV and IV training, that used to be something that was like exclusive to the pros. But now everyone can do it because they have, you know, the super, um, the super training. And then I loved playing the mini games with my Pokemon. I loved Pokemon and me. I loved dressing up my character. And, um, you know, they have those photo spots where you can take photos. I love those. Um, and pose. <laughs> And, um, you know, they have the skates now, so movement is a lot more natural. You're not just, like, going from square to square. You're literally, like, you can move in circles and go around and, you know, not be just, like, this blocky movement. You can actually move around. And um, I don't know. It just felt like such a it – was, it was really nice to be able to get back into Pokemon with a game like this. And it, even though I'd say it's, like – definitely one of the easier pokemon games i i liked it for being easy i guess i'm i'm actually surprised hearing that the older games are much harder than this one because pokemon is always in my shitty like teenage mind is like oh it's a thing for casual players but to hear that like all the other pokemon games are like marginally harder is weird to me because that seems like one of nintendo's biggest franchises you wouldn't expect them to make uh, some of the weirder decisions that they have over the years, I guess. Yeah. It's, I, a, I, it's a different design philosophy, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I really appreciate X. I'm really happy with it. Plus, like, um, deer are really important to me. And, um, like, with X having the deer, like, I... Yeah. <laughs> like, I I guess I should um, clarify. I'm, I'm two-spirit, basically. Um... And, like, my tribe has um, specific animals that they, um, like, their imagery and what they represent is really important. Um, so I, I really relate to, like, uh, rabbit and deer. And so the deer Pokemon, I can't pronounce its name. Yeah. Um, no, well, that too. I love Deerling. Um, but the, the legendary one, and X, the, like, big oh, fancy uh, one. Oh, Xerneas? Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. Xerneas. I I can I I don't even want to try pronouncing the name <laughs> normally alone. But um that it also really reminded me of the um if anybody's seen Princess Mononoke. Yes. Like the the spirit. Hell um, yeah. But yeah, um that that imagery um was really important to me. Um based on like my my native identity and stuff like that. So, I don't know. Pokemon X like overall was a really positive experience for me other than like the nature's um, because we've talked about this before, but I have like obsessive compulsive tendencies and the fact that like my Pokemon natures can destroy my legendary Pokemon by making their main stats decrease by 10% is like, ugh. but looking past that, talk, that's like <laughs> some serious, some serious stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, you know, I got back into Pokemon thanks to Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, the remakes of gen three, which are also wonderful and leaned even harder into like, Let's make this game easy and let's make it go fast. Beat that game in like 10 hours and you're like, I'm just doing great. And we added an epilogue and X and Y asked a ton of questions that they're going to answer someday. And Omega Ruby's uh, post game asked a bunch of questions. And it's like the future of Pokemon is very bright. I'm very excited to be yeah, back I really on the like base. The like um, the ding. What What is it called? Oh, gosh, I can't even <laughs> think of the name. The tracker thingy, the scanner thing. What is it the called? The Dex Nav, the thing on the bottom yeah, of the that. screen. The yes. Dex Nav is one of the best additions to Pokemon ever. 
It's basically just like, hey, here's all the stuff that's here and here's what you need to get. Like, that's it. That's all I needed. I don't need the internet anymore. For like obsessive compulsive me, that was the best thing I've ever experienced in Pokemon. Like that was so amazing because like now I can see all the Pokemon that are there and I can catch them all and then feel okay moving on to the next route. I can also see their natures. So if it's a Pokemon that I really want to, you know, have in my team, I can tailor it to my tastes. And, you know, it's it's just amazing. I, I love I love the Dexnav. And um, I was sad that you couldn't uh, customize your character so much in um, Omega Ruby. And yeah, they took that all out. It was really a bummer for dumb reasons, um, too. Yep. But... Especially can't like, break the canon, man. Can't, can't, can't break, break that canon. perfect canon. <laughs> to be fair, no, let's not. <laughs> I'm not going to defend that. Brendan and <laughs> let's May play are devil's advocate. Brendan here. and May are defined characters that are not just player substitutes. Like if you play as May, Brendan is a different character. He's a sexist butt teenager. If you play as May, or if you play as Brendan, then May, that your rival is a uh, shitty female stereotype. So they're like both bad. But you characters. can wait, Alan. But you can play as Brendan and Jakku. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but you can play if you buy the you get the free DLC and you can play as Brendan in the Battle of Jakku. He has a extra uh, pulse blaster. Ryan, I'm really sorry we uh-huh. went really long. <laughs> I apologize. It's okay. Uh, this is a good conversation. Uh, do you want to move on to the all of the <laughs> emails that we got? Yes. We got a lot Ooh, of them. Let's read them. All right. So we're each gonna we're gonna take turns reading one. Uh, but the first one is a question, and it's the only question that we got. And this question is from Andrew. Shout out to Andrew. He's really cool. Uh, and Andrew wants to know if y'all have ever done the Mew glitch in the original three. And if so, did you raise it to be an asset uh, or a reason you beat the whole game? Katie, you um, have done the Mew glitch, correct? Yes, I have. Um, the Nugget Bridge glitch. Um, yep. I did do that. Um, that's because, like, Mew is actually one of my favorite Pokemon, being a cute Pokemon who actually has Hell yeah. great face stats. I'm like, yes, this is right up my alley. So, um, in the older Pokemon games, um, whenever I did play them, because, like, the time that I came back around to play them, I was, again, older, yeah. and I could do things like that with the resources of the internet. Um, so I did the Nugget Bridge glitch, um, but I haven't actually beaten um, the original three Pokemon games, any of them. Um, and I also typically don't play with legendaries in my party because I feel like it's kind of unfair, I guess. Um, yeah, I tend to save them for the post game. Yeah. Sure um, that, so that's not my thing. Um, I like, I like to have them cause you know, like you gotta catch them all. You gotta collect them. Yeah. Um, but again, I never beat the original three. Um, I mean, I beat the Kanto region and all that kind of stuff in the second generation. Right, but, but it's with a, the original, it's different. Yeah, with the original three, I never beat the whole game um, ever, and so Mew so, wasn't part of my party in that either. Okay, forgive me. What is the Mew glitch? Okay, so basically, the Mew glitch, and uh, I—I'm probably not the best person to describe how it actually works, but I. It's okay. It, Go ahead. Essentially, you do some nonsense like involving uh, a certain location early in the game, and you Nugget um, Bridge, the Nugget Bridge, which is between like Pewter and Cerulean City, I think, um, or Cerulean yeah, and Vermilion, I think. yeah. And uh, you do something there, and then you can catch. It's the only way to cat to glitch in a Pokemon that was not obtainable otherwise, unless you had an event mm, named Mew. Okay. Um, what What was interesting about this, and why I think partly why Andrew is mentioning it is like 
the Mew glitch was like an infamous thing back in the day where uh-huh. on the schoolyard I had friends that would tell me like, if you go to the truck behind SSN and you use strength on the back 10 times, then Mew comes out of the truck. <laughs> You're like, I tried that. Or it's like, if you didn't see it and you, or you lost count of how many times you use strength, you have to beat the Elite Four twice. <laughs> like, it was, it was yeah. one of the first big video game mysteries. It was like, how do you get Mew? Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, it was yeah. just such a thing. And then the real answer was like, it's a thing you can glitch into the game pretty simply with like yeah. Mew stats. That's all it is. Um. Yeah. Oh, there was something I wanted to bring up that I the one of the other reasons I hated the fourth generation. Um. So oh, many right. of the legendaries they introduced were um like you said um like when you were talking about Mew as an event character basically. Yeah. Um. So many of all the legendaries in Generation Four were event characters. Like because it was easier to do events just... on the DS. That's why. Right. Yeah. But I was I was just so disappointed. Like around my area there's not really a reliable event place to go to yeah where exactly. i live and so i'd have to travel an hour or two to actually go somewhere where i could get an event pokemon and then rcs anyway. was incredibly overpowered and yeah but anyways um yeah. in, uh, just, right. uh andrew i i have beaten uh blue it's very hard the end game is very uh frustrating and makes you lose a lot of progress if you fail but i have beaten blue yes I just wanted to say real quick, like, it's really cool, the idea of, like, this hidden cool secret in one of these games, uh, especially, like, as a kid, uh, because, like, what is the equivalent of that now? Like, something like Undertale that has a billion hidden things. It's exactly that, yeah, which is great, because Undertale was so inspired by Pokemon in a lot of ways. Right. So, that's really cool, just to have that kind of thing thrown around uh, when you're a kid is really cool to me. Wait, Ryan, do do you not know about uh, Missing Now? Oh what? God! <gasps> oh my oh God! The big what? glitch Pokemon. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it later. But basically, it's just a thing that you could glitch into the game that like broke your game and it was like a big cheat that actually did work and everyone could get it because Red and yeah. Blue were very buggy games and you could break yes. them. Yes, oh, it's a, wow, okay. it's called missing no dot, which means missing number because the Pokemon doesn't exist. But oh, okay. he's basically yeah, okay. this big block of pixels glitch yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, it's oh. it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, but it's great, and it's a All big right. Pokemon thing. We need to move yes. on. Yeah. Um, the next question or the next uh, comment is from my close personal friends Magellan and James, who uh, I got into a nice little Facebook conversation with a couple days ago about. I was asking them like, "What are your favorite Pokemon? What are your favorite generations?" Um, and this most of this comment is from Magellan, who says, "Sapphire, Fire Red, and Heart Gold are my tops. I distinctly remember in elementary school ordering the physical guide to Ruby Sapphire and pouring it." O- Pouring over it for all the info on where to get certain items, despite the fact that the internet existed. Bonded real hard with the Mudkip I took through Sapphire, the Charmander I took through Fire Red, that Charmander was his first level 100, and Heart Gold rocked because it was a faithful remake and also very extensive. And he actually broke his DS from playing it so much because he would fiddle with the top screen during like the downtime and then it snapped. Um, <laughs> and Gen 4, they both mentioned, was their favorite gen because uh, we that was the gen that we all were friends at that point and we played a lot of them together. Um, he says he put 200 plus hours in, in Gen 4. Top Pokemon, Sandshrew. I fucking agree. Even though, you know, that's like <laughs> I number two. I love Sandshrew. Sandshrew's adorable and just the best. It's like a cute little sand rat. Um, and then he's a huge fan of Pokemon Stadium and Stadium 2 for personal reasons. And, uh, James, who briefly wanted to mention that his favorite Pokemon is Vibrava, which is one of the coolest middle evolutions of all time. Thank you, Magellan James. <laughs> cool. Alrighty. And um, then um, one of my friends, Mary, um, she submitted a little tidbit to us. 
And she said, um, my favorite Pokemon is Nithmagius. I've always really liked Ghost-type Pokemon ever since Sapphire, which is when I started playing Pokemon. One of the coolest things to me playing Pearl was going against the gym leader, Fantina. Not only did I love her design, but the lineup of Pokemon she had always made me feel extremely jealous and also sparked my love for Miss Magius. Also, Duskull's design is super dope AF. And also, Alan, um, you have expressed to me that you like Fantina. Fantina is one of the best dream leaders of all time, <laughs> like bar none, because of her story and because of the way that they wrote her. Because basically, she's a character who's always written as an outsider. So in the English versions of uh, of Diamond and Pearl, she uh, spoke in- broken English with French mixed in. In the Japanese one, she spoke broken Japanese with English mixed in. And in the French one, she spoke broken French with English. So she's never she never speaks the native language that you're playing the game in, which I but like at the so you're like oh they're making a joke about people who are foreigners but she's a good gym leader like she's a very competent <laughs> really cool and she has a great team so it's this kind of like oh maybe we can get past our language barriers and still like be good at what we do and be good at our jobs like, I, I freaking I love Fantina to death she's super mm-hmm. cool yeah. next one is from Colin uh, who says as of now my favorite Pokemon game is Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire uh Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire was a remake of Generation 3 games, uh, Ruby and Sapphire, and they've included many new features. Uh, he says that he can probably write a five-page five paper on why he loves the new remake. Uh, two of the newest things that he loves is Cosplay Pikachu and the ability to have four different key items registered. It's awesome that Pikachu can wear different outfits and have unique moves. Secondly, the ability to have four different uh, key items registered saves my time. I remember playing the uh, the Gen 3 games and having to press start, then going into my bag, then having to register another item to uh, so I can quickly access it. Having four items registered means I can find what I want to use right away. That's actually another thing about X is that you can only have one key item registered, and that annoys the I hell think out of me. I yes. looked into it. You might be able to get more. I might be wrong. Okay. You just have to keep registering right, different things. Because right now it's just the map, yeah. and that's... Really no, it definitely because I have the map and the bike, so yeah, you just have to register more than one thing. But that's a great feature that they added. Like, I agree. Cosplay Pikachu love is a good reason. Pikachu. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so cute. Cosplay uh, Pikachu breaks contests and makes it so you can um, uh, do like it, it's just a, a female Pikachu that they give you that wears cute outfits, and each outfit gives it a different move, and they're all cute, and you win contests with it, and it's cute. That's yes, that. super amazing, and Next. they cosplay is so great. Yes, they're all really good. Next comment is from Anna. Who is Anna? <laughs> Anna is my friend. <laughs> oh, lovely. Um, okay, so she is Poke- uh, the cab driver for Guy Fieri. Oh, oh, that's true. That's actually really true to real life. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pokemon holds a special place in my heart. It plays a huge role in my childhood. Not only has it given me happiness all throughout my years, but has recently pay- uh, played a huge toll on my life. With dealing with depression for most of my life and the recent loss of my brother. I strayed away from Pokemon for a few years until recently when a friend of mine convinced me to pick it up and finish X. It, I had such an amazing time relearning everything that I once loved. It has come back full force into my life, brightens my days when I'm too overwhelmed with the world. I managed to get back into it right before the 20th anniversary, so getting to be a part of the birthday for something that means so much to me was an amazing feeling. I love Pokemon, and I think I always will. That touches me, Anna. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Anna. That was such a nice submission, and I love you. Um, let's see. And, um, 
Our next submission was from Luke. And Luke says, what? Why are you song. laughing? It's a good one. Oh, yeah. He says, um, Matt Emmerich is a sucky Pokemon. No, what he <gasps> says is, once when I was very small, I watched the Pichu Brothers short. And ever since then, I have been attached to Pichu. I went as far as to purchase two small Pichu plushies and play with them as they, they were the Pichu Brothers. I have these plushies to this day somewhere, and Pichu remains my penultimate Pokemon ever. So These are so cute. I, I know. And I want to uh. say, I had this TV Pokemon game. Um, was it Pokemon but, Channel? Yes. Katie, you want to be best friends? Because Pokemon Channel yeah, is my sure. fucking jam. <laughs> it's so good. And <laughs> I just remember... Pichu Brothers was my favorite program on the TV. Yes. So I would literally just, like, go to the TV. I wouldn't even, like, play the game. I did play the game. But I would just go to the TV and watch the Pichu Brothers because I mean, they yeah, were the game so was very. It was just a bunch of mini games with, like, an excuse of, like, if you beat it, you get to watch the Jirachi short. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's all it was. It was a good but game. Pichu Brothers, A+. Plus. All right. And this last one comes from M, who is the host of Abnormal Mapping, which is a great podcast. Everybody should be listening to that podcast. Uh, M says, hey, friends. I like that. Great introduction. Fireside friends. Uh, I wanted to write about my experiences with Pokemon as someone who has come through the other side. I remember when Nintendo Power was teasing Pokemon for months. I remember eagerly awaiting the release, calling my game shop every day. Uh, This was before uh, firm release dates for such things. I remember getting both copies at once for reasons I still don't fully understand. I remember doing it again and again and again. Pokemon is how I met friends on junior high back when the anime was just starting to air and all of us were excited about what might be coming to the second gen. Pokemon was how I killed many hours in college, staying up until 3am, teaching my friends about Pokemon Fire Red and Leaf Green at this point. Pokemon was how, in a really dark time of my life, I spent a summer unemployed and practically homeless, living on a couch and getting very into competitive play with Diamond and Pearl. I've Eevee and Ivy trained, hatched literally thousands of eggs, and come out on the other side uh, kind of sad that the whole thing was over. Me and Jackson did an abnormal mapping plug on Pokemon <laughs> XY, and in it, I kind of realized that after 15 plus years at that point, I was worn out. I'd, I had been at the best too many times. I caught them all literally more than once uh, from scratch and just didn't have it in me to continue the quest of the internal, uh, the eternal 10-year-old romping through the grass with hopes that something special might be lurking around just beyond the next bush. I blame the mega evolutions, which I find stupid in the ways that fly in the face of Pokemon's general stupidity. I love key ring and trash bag Pokemon. Same. I adore... Uh, Help me with this Wabafet. one. Wabafet. Wabafet. The attempt to make already powerful Pokemon, or already powerful and cool Pokemon spikier and edgier and flashier to appeal to younger generations. But in reality, the problem is that I'm old and Pokemon isn't, and that's okay. I'll sit here and dream of the second Poke- of a second Pokemon Snap, same, <laughs> and enjoy people's cute art from Bulbasaur from time to time and let it pass me by. And that's okay. On some level, I hope we, I hope Pokemon never changes, even as my emotional self scoffs at how much to change too much, and that, and that's the sign of something that really stands the test of time. And you're never too old for Pokemon. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> did you applaud? I did applaud. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was a fantastic um, addition. 
Like, I don't know. These were all good. These were all winners. I agree. Oh, my goodness. We have good listeners. Y'all are the best listeners. And I'm just Ah. so happy with the response we've gotten with Pokemon 2, with all the people who have sent something in. Mm -hmm. It really gets at it. It's like the most inclusive game property at this point. That just like everyone has an experience with it. Um, And it's just, it's Mm -hmm. for everyone. That's why I think, you know, age, gender, race, everything. Everyone can enjoy Pokemon in some uh, aspect. Well, it's been around for so long. It's been this huge franchise for Nintendo that it's touched so many people at this point, and everybody has their own story. And it's really cool to hear other people's perspectives. For sure. And on that note, we really need to wrap this one up. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, some housekeeping. I would like to thank the people who shared the last episode. Tatiana, who was on last time, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, Ken and Alexandra, thank you so much for retweeting the last episode uh once again we are on itunes and stitcher so if you like the show maybe rate us on itunes or stitcher uh maybe tell a friend about the show uh if you want to send in emails you can do so at firesidefriendspodcast at gmail.com and you can follow us on twitter at podcast fireside uh katie where can people find you on the internet uh you can find me on, on twitter at katie m rose um, and also, I have a Tumblr. It's Rorfon, um, which is f r o r e dash fon dot tumblr dot com. Alan, most of my stuff that I do and post goes to my Twitter, which is twitter dot com slash Alan Ibrahim, A L L E N I B R A H I M. Right. And I am at Taco Detective on Twitter, and I have a blog that is tacodetective dot com. And I think that's going to do it here, unless everybody, anyone else has anything else to say. Gotta catch them all? Yeah. Yep. It was nice finally joining you guys. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us, and I look forward to doing this again in two weeks, because this was fun. Agree. Same. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Good luck out there, and don't forget to take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah ready. Clap to us. Okay. Three, two, one. Okay. Harmonious. All right. I'm going to start. Hold on. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> so Let me think Let me about tell what Eli I'm say. something really fast because he just looked at me weird. We do a clap test so we can sync the audio <laughs> at one point. Yes. <laughs> She just likes clapping. She's like, yay, one clap. Just for real quick. (laughs) But we do that so we can sync the audio where everybody claps. That way it'll be on point. Stop looking at me like that, Eli.